This is Ian McElhinney here. I'm an actor from Northern Ireland. I play Sebastian Selmy in Game of Thrones. I'm currently playing Val L in Krypton. If you watch Derry Girls, I'm Granddad Joe. I've had a wonderful time talking to Neil before Pod right now at the Edinburgh Comic Con. Neil before Blog presents Neil before Pod. Welcome to Neil Before Pod, the podcast that isn't entirely trapped within the DC fandom, managed to dig a hole and get out of there. Like in The Simpsons, that sinkhole thing, if you've seen The Simpsons movie. If not, don't, it's not very good. Anyway, I'm your host Craig and we're here to discuss October's news and trailer offerings, of which there are many. Joining me for this Herculean task, or perhaps Atlantean task, I don't know, we'll talk about it, is Angus. Hello. Hello, hello. I've brought my four pages of notes along with me. Four pages of notes? Wow, that's more pages than I've got, perhaps. <laughs> well, I put them on one note so it doesn't separate into pages. Ah, okay. so it's just yeah, mine's all just um, pictures and charts. Good, okay. So we'll, we'll get a nice bar graph later, maybe a bit of a pie chart. Yeah, yeah. Or a line graph. Yes, everything that can be created in, in Microsoft. <laughs> <laughs> perhaps a burn down? Oh no, ne- never a burn down. Never a burn down. We draw the line at burn downs, yeah. which is hilarious because they are lines in themselves. Anyway, that's enough chatting about graphs. <laughs> I never thought we'd do a podcast on graphs. Trust me to bring that up. <laughs> yeah, That's it. Showing your day job yeah. off in yeah. your podcasting life. It's never good. <laughs> okay, let us get started. As always, we start with a bit of what we've been doing, what we've been watching, what we might have to plug. So what have you been watching in the interim period since i guess you were last on which was months ago so yeah it was months <laughs> maybe ago. not everything i was trying to dig out <laughs> my pages and pages of notes from last time so i could compare because as i was taking notes this time i was thinking i'm pretty sure i said something almost exactly the same last time <laughs> <laughs> i can't remember what i was watching last time but this time i have been watching american horror story the latest season double feature enjoying it really enjoying it what i like about the second half is it really ties into american history and starts spinning the traditional american horror story type stuff around that and i think it's really cool how they're tying it in because in the past they've covered lots of different themes they did a bit with the cult season was tied kind of into the whole right wing donald trump type stuff but this is a bit more going back exploring nixon jfk vietnam so if you know a bit about that then it's quite cool because you see stuff kind of popping up and it tries to explain away some of these events in american history but through supernatural means so yeah i've been really enjoying that i have never seen american horror story but i've heard that people like it and it's ran for 10 years so obviously people do like it and it has a spin-off, doesn't it? There's something on Disney+. Plus. Yeah, I haven't actually caught any of that yet. But yeah, you're right. There's tons and tons of it. And I suppose because it's an anthology, you could start anywhere or you could pick a season if you like the theme and watch that. Again, because it's an anthology, you see all your favourite actors popping up in it. And it's always good when somebody, you might have thought they've called it a day, they pop back in for an episode or two. It's quite cool to catch up with them. And the season's every so often kind of weave into each other as well. So some bits and pieces play into each other. I don't think think there's been a whole lot in this one so far 
that ties in specifically to any other ones but i've thought that in the past and then you get towards the end and something crops up and you're like, oh, i remember that from years ago so it's anthology but it's not quite full anthology then there seems to be some connection yeah interesting anything else been in front of your eyeballs i'm continuing my tradition of playing video games way after they've come out when they're cheap yeah when they're cheap basically i mean thanks for pointing that out but yes that's probably the reason why <laughs> <laughs> yeah i've been playing jedi fallen order and uh, really enjoying it yeah i played that and enjoyed it found it immensely frustrating because well we've talked about this a lot offline but i'm not very good at video games most of the time and it's one of those challenging video games that compared to dark souls and stuff I know you play Dark Souls. I would never play Dark Souls because I just couldn't do it. Yeah, I'm enjoying it. It's like a little sort of holiday from Dark Souls, this one. (laughs) (laughs) No, I'm not trying to rub that in at all. I think if I hadn't played Dark Souls, then yes, I'd feel that this is difficult and probably a frustrating experience. But all that homework and difficult hours and hours slogging away through that has prepared me for this. And I'm actually really enjoying the story of it as well. Yeah, it's a good story. It's good. It's a good, enjoyable game. From years ago that I'm sure everyone has already played. Yeah, I played it once through when it came out and that was me. Uh, I haven't gone back to it really, but maybe one day. What is time? I don't have it. It's <laughs> just one of these days I'll maybe go back and play through it again, see if I'm any better, which I'm not, probably. <laughs> but yeah, that's cool. Anything else noteworthy you've been watching or playing? or Tying into that, the idea of revisiting stuff or only ever watching old things or playing old things over again. And it's relevant for something we might talk about later. I went to the cinema to see scream I think it's the okay. 25th anniversary i think a lot of cinemas have been doing this post lockdown trying to get people back into cinemas maybe there's not as strong a slate of movies that have been out i suppose that's picking up a bit now but yeah a lot of cinemas were showing older movies that you might not have had a chance to see first time around i'm a big fan of scream and it was a real laugh going to the cinema to see it, it was quite a busy screening and i think it was probably a bit of a different experience that it would have been back in the day But because so many people are familiar with it and there's sort of comedic elements of it or stuff that's become a bit more comedic maybe with hindsight. Yeah, it was good. It was a really good, fun screening to go and see. Cool. Cineworld, my local cinema, are showing it, but I don't think I can make it work to go and see it. It's just not going to happen. I am going to see Blade, though. Cool. Is it an anniversary? I think so, yeah. It'd be like 25 years, 20 Mm -hmm. years, something like that. But I've never seen it in the cinema. Obviously, I was way young when it came Mm -hmm. out. Because it was an 18. I remember having the VHS when I was too young to have it on VHS. But I'll see Blade on the big screen. I haven't really seen it in years, so I don't know if it holds up. It's probably really cheesy, <laughs> I'm guessing. I'll find out, though. I'll report back next month when I've seen it. I've maybe seen it once or twice a long time ago, but yeah, not one I'm massively familiar with. Scream, that was an 18 as well, and I was watching it thinking, I'm sure some of this stuff would probably get passed as a 15 nowadays. I don't know whether or not it's just because I'm getting old, but <laughs> just feels like more and more stuff's kind of getting moved into that 15 bracket or even younger so that you, know, you can maximize that audience we're just all becoming far more used to stuff being extreme yeah and then it just alters the age ratings i have watched it over and over again i had it taped off the tv years ago and then i've got the dvd collection and stuff so i've seen it tons of times so i am pretty inured to it now maybe that's part of it as well It's not very shocking now. The first one is one I don't have a lot of memory of. I remember the second one very well, but I think that was the one that was always on ITV2 or whatever. (laughs) I kept catching it. It's one of those films. Mm -hmm. But the first one never seemed to be around for whatever reason. So I've only seen it a couple of times ages ago. Well, we'll talk about Scream later. Spoilers for something we'll talk about later. But I might rewatch the Scream films. I haven't even seen the fourth one. Mm -hmm. I've seen the first three 
second one a load of times, the third one probably once, fourth one not at all. Now onto what I've been watching. Jeez, it's quite a list since the last month. TV stuff, not a lot different there. The DC stuff is trickling back in on television. So I've been watching Legends of Tomorrow, which has recently started. Seventh season's pretty good so far. It's good fun. They're stuck in the 1920s and trying to get out. They're time travellers, if you haven't seen the show. They're stuck in the 1920s and aren't out yet as of the second episode, which is all that's aired up until now. Supergirl is still on in its final season. It is almost finished. There's three weeks left after this week at time of recording. Oh, that's going to be emotional. Stay tuned for a chat with me and Chris later on where we talk about the Farewell Supergirl panel. Again, spoilers for something coming up that's already been recorded. Amazing, all this post-production work I end up doing or pre-production work I end up doing. So I've been watching that. I've been watching Batwoman, but I've chosen not to review it because I'm just too busy and something had to go. And unfortunately, it was that. I'll maybe try and do a mid-season or an end-of-season roundup of some sort, but I had to drop it as a review. But this season's been okay so far, a couple episodes in. Let's maybe not talk about Ruby Rose just trying to tear everybody down at Warner Brothers over her leaving Batwoman. I don't know if you've seen that in the press, but geez, it seems like stuff went on on that set and no one really knows what's going on. I suspect there's no innocence. I suspect everybody's been up to something. It's usually the case with these things. Well, I knew she'd left, but I wasn't aware of any allegations or any mudslinging that might have gone on afterwards. It's very recent. She took to the internet and pulled no punches and then people rebutted her but also pulling no punches. So it's quite a saga. You should look it up. I'm not going to talk about it here because not really what we do here, unless people want us to, but I'm not an authority on these things, so I'm not going to venture much in the way of opinions on Mm. it. But yeah, Batwoman Season 3, so far pretty good. They did a good version of Killer Croc in the second episode, so I'm enjoying that. Another show that I'm watching is called Ghosts, which is a remake of a British comedy show, I've never seen and the American version I'll be honest is not very good so far but I'm currently watching it because Rose McIver's in it she was in iZombie which is a show that I loved she's kind of keeping me watching every now and again I'll be like oh there she is there's her comic time and she's made that piece of writing that just isn't funny somehow a little bit funny <laughs> so I'm watching I that. wonder how long she'll hold your attention for if it's really not good how long are you going to stick with it oh I don't know we'll see got full season order which is remarkable, I guess. It only takes 20 minutes. It's a thing I can throw on while I'm doing something else. <laughs> it doesn't demand too much of my attention. That's what I think of your art. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, Rose McIver, <laughs> if you're listening. But, you know, I'm watching because of you. You've done it. You've transcended. <laughs> That's why I watch those awful Christmas films that you're in on Netflix as well, because you're in them. It's dedication. It is dedication. They're not even awful. They're pretty bland Christmas films that she's in, to be honest. And there's just nothing much to them. Netflix Christmas movies are almost bereft of drama which is hilarious <laughs> and in some cases full of Vanessa Hutchins there's often quite a lot of her in those movies oh no not in that way <laughs> as in she is playing multiple roles in the same movie quite often oh wow so she's like carved out a whole Eddie Murphy type career for herself in Netflix Christmas movies it seems so yeah princess Switch. it seems that every one they add at least one more Vanessa Hutchins <laughs> Netflix Christmas movies. We're approaching that time of year, so I'll be able to watch them again. Yeah, watch the space. We've probably got a whole podcast on them coming up. Maybe not. (laughs) (laughs) In terms of movies, I've seen quite a few movies, a lot of them at the cinema. In fact, most of them at the cinema. Last month, I promised I would tell people what I thought of No Time to Die. I quite liked it. I gave it three stars. It was a good ending to the Daniel Craig era of Bond. 
I'm not a huge Bond guy, but I, I liked it. It had its problems, but I think overall it was a good finish. It was way better than I was expecting because I was expecting nothing. It's one of those things that we've been waiting almost two years for it and I felt like I'd seen the whole film in the trailer and I was sick of hearing, it's been delayed again. And eventually it came out and it was all right. I quite enjoyed it. I also saw it, failed to mention that at the beginning, but yeah, saw it and yeah, enjoyed it. It was a strange experience because... It's the first time that there's been this kind of five movie arc for a Bond. I think that kind of hamstrung it a bit and it was always going to have to end a certain way. Yeah, I've got questions about what they do now and and how they go on because I suppose every iteration of Bond has just been, it's not really a reboot, it's just here's another James Bond story. So now I'm worried that they're going to do another, this sort of series of movies type approaches working for other big titles you know like they've seen the success of the marvel movies all stringing movies together and having a an overarching story kind of tying them all together so yeah i'm worried that they'll reboot james bond and go for something like that and that's kind of the world that we'll be in now whereas i probably just enjoyed he pops up every couple of years has an adventure with a ridiculous villain and a ridiculous plot but he does gadgety things saves the world heads off into the sunset and then he's back in another couple of years to do it all over again i just don't know whether or not we'll get back to that anytime soon he's back in another couple of years it might not be the same actor but the supporting cast will largely be the same (laughs) there'll be some people tying it together Yeah, I'm not going to spoil what the ending was, but the way they ended it seemed pretty definitive that their only choice next is a reboot or something else, Mm. some other radical thing. But I think now that Amazon have their skin in the game with the franchise, they will try to properly franchise it. So we'll probably get an Anna de Armas spinoff and Mm. whatever else. I think they'll try and throw something into that, as you say, that connected thing, whether they do... reboot and this reboot is going to be the bond universe so we're going to have james bond movie in the cinemas and on amazon prime we're going to have paloma i think anna de Armas's character's name was who was in one scene good scene but she was in one scene and we'll do other spin-offs as well we'll do the m prequel why not and all that stuff i don't know we'll see watch this space i guess they'll have to make a decision on it but it was a decent ending for the daniel craig era i was quite happy with it all in all, I also saw Venom, Let There Be Carnage. Mm. I keep wanting to say Venom, Let Them Eat Cake. <laughs> I don't know why. Every time I... that if you like. <laughs> might as well. It shows about as much care and attention as they put into the film, to be honest. But <laughs> no, that's harsh. I actually liked it. I thought it was fine in the same way that the first film was fine. And we did a podcast on it, and we're probably not doing a podcast on this one. Well, definitely not, because it's not happening. But the first one suffered from the, here's things that we're trying to do. We're trying to do horror, we're trying to do comedy, we're trying to do this and this and this, and didn't really commit to anything. This one did. This one fully committed to, it's a rom-com, comedy angle. Tom Hardy's Eddie Brock has a roommate he doesn't quite get along with, who happens to share his body, and is a carnivorous alien symbiote. That's the twist so they do things like that there's definitely queer coding in there which people have pointed out to me and i noticed when i watched the film as well so people are latching onto that which is nice it's fine woody harrelson's good tom hardy's good the actors definitely elevate the material i like the action and i thought carnage looked really cool i don't like carnage in the comics or anything like that but he looked really cool and i really yeah it was fine it's a good watch if you enjoyed the first venom movie You'll enjoy this one. There's no two ways about it, really. Does it end with a big CGI punch-up? Yes, it does. Yeah, okay. Two almost identical-looking creatures punching <laughs> each other in a church. <laughs> one's red, one's black. Now, Carnage does look different enough, whereas in the last film, Riot did not. Mm. 
right? It was mm-hmm. just palette swapped Venom with a stupid grin. But this one, Carnage is very well designed, and it's a very quick film as well. It moves at a really good clip. It's ninety minutes, ninety-seven minutes, mm-hmm. so it doesn't stop long enough to ever get boring. But it also doesn't stop long enough to ever get interesting. If that makes sense. <laughs> That's a bit of a dilemma for them. <laughs> There's things in there where it's like, you could do more with this, and they do nothing with mm-hmm. it. But there was a clear mission statement as to what they wanted to achieve by it, and I think they achieved it. Well, that's good. Sometimes that's okay. Yeah. Sometimes not. I don't know. I also saw Ron's Gone Wrong, animated thing, which is technically a Disney movie. Now it was a 20th century studios thing, I think. And now it's a Disney thing, I suppose. Basically, a kid gets the next generation of iPhone, which is a robot. And the one he gets is fell off the back of a truck, literally, and is a bit defective, so it doesn't have all the settings. And it's largely about accepting people the way they are rather than the way you'd like them to be. And it's a study in friendship in a lot of ways. So he learns how to accept the robot. The robot has to learn how to be his friend without uploading to the cloud and downloading firmware updates and all that stuff. And it's a bit about the social media generation, about how people conflate worth and fame with how people respond to them on social media and why that matters or why that shouldn't matter and what that takes away from social things, but also what it adds, as in it lets kids reach out and speak to each other and it breaks down a social barrier in a way. So it's it's quite complex in the way that it covers it. I'm not a fan of social media, so I would have been fully on board for the social media is bad and here's why you shouldn't be letting young people on it, but it actually gives you the positivity of here's why it can be good for young people, but watch it because you don't want it to be all that you give to young people sort of thing. So really good, really heartwarming places. The plot runs away with itself a few times to the point where I'm like, how did this start happening? I don't understand how we got here, but it gets itself back. It's a really good heartwarming, heartbreaking in places experience. And I really enjoyed it. I gave it four stars. Venom, I gave three stars. So there we go. So two threes and a four so far for my movie watching. It's cool. I also went to see The Last Duel. You need to be sharper on the what you've been watching. Oh yeah, I mean, I had these things on my list. My list's actually growing now to about five pages now that I've remembered things I wanted to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> We're still in the section. We're okay. Listening to you describe what you'd been to see, I was like, oh yeah, I went to cinema. I did go to see something else. <laughs> yeah, Last Duel. I quite liked it. I didn't know exactly what to expect. I had seen a couple of trailers. It looked like it was going to be kind of medieval-y and probably a lot of fighting and stuff it turned out not to be exactly like that but there was enough of that i haven't seen a movie like that for a while so i enjoyed that part of it it was like a kind of rashomon style same story told from the perspective of three different people and i liked that okay i liked the actors that are in it i liked matt damon's chin strap beard and his mullet he looked interesting as a, a french nobleman <laughs> adam driver always good good to see him in that as well he was a bit of a baddie but you, you don't really know because he's being accused by different people of different things jodie comer was in it i liked her in the first couple of seasons of killing eve before i got a bit bored with that but i really like her as an actor as well and Ben Affleck, he's good in it. He's good in the movie. He's playing this French, he's a nobleman. He's like a count or something. He's the king or the prince's cousin or something. And he's got like bleached blonde hair and this little goatee beard. And he looked uncannily enough like and unlike Ben Affleck that every time he was on the screen, I was like, oh, so weird. So it kind of took me out of it a little bit. I was trying to concentrate on the performances and on the story. So that, that did take me out of it a wee bit, but I enjoyed all of it. it. covers quite a heavy subject, but I think it was well done. It wasn't too kind of 
plodding or ponderous which i think some of ridley scott's most recent movies have been so yeah it was good it is long but it doesn't drag it's got this kind of three-part structure that as i say kind of retells the story so to begin with i didn't realize that was happening and then when it kicked off into the second retelling i was like oh oh i see what's going on here and then yes it plays out that way so yeah the last duel liked it cool i didn't see it i heard mixed things about it so interesting that you liked mm-hmm. it cool I didn't really fancy it. We actually talked about the trailer last time you were on, I think. Probably did. I think I remember saying in that podcast quite a lot that, yeah, if this has got swords in it, then I'll probably go and see it. I think we talked about Green Knight and maybe Red Sonja. And yeah, yeah, so as long as there's chainmail and helmets and horses and stuff, then I'll probably give it a watch. (laughs) That kind of stuff puts me on, so it's interesting. (laughs) It could be the medieval correspondent. You could be, you could be. What else have I seen? Halloween Kills. Went to see that. I like the Halloween franchise more or less. I didn't really like this one that much. I think some of the stuff they're trying to do, such as the dangers of mob mentality and things like that, and it gets its messaging a bit muddled because it's got this angry mob that generates out because Michael Myers is back in town and he's killing people and we have to kill him before he kills anyone else. And the film doesn't really commit to the whole idea of this mob is a bad thing because then you show me Michael Myers just murdering several people in the next scene the body count is off the charts it's very large i think it's in the first halloween film that john carpenter warned he kills seven people and you probably think it's more than that that's weird you think about slasher movies as having high body counts and not that seven people is to be sniffed at but it's not a huge amount is it as such probably just over time they've had to up the blood and the gore i guess these things (laughs) have got hundreds of sequels so you always want to escalate but you're right if you go back and watch some really early ones like some classics of the genre they're probably not all that bloody maybe they're bloody but they're not uh, they're more tense more tense yeah there's a lot of tension a lot less just swinging axes and knives and stuff there's very little tension in halloween kills and it's very reverent to the events of that night which makes sense for the town because it's it's a big event in their lives and it has impact on them and it is about the trauma of that in a lot of ways jamie lee curtis is hardly in it she spends most of the time in a hospital bed and doesn't do very much i mean she gets brutally injured in the last one which is fair enough but in terms of we've got jamie lee curtis and we're just gonna have her sit in this hospital bed for most of it so it kind of lacks focus the kills are quite gory a bit too gory for me in some cases. I'm quite squeamish in these types of things, so I wasn't hugely enamoured with it. We'll see what Halloween Ends is like when it comes out next year. The fourth timeline of the Halloween franchise, (laughs) if you're keeping score, which you probably shouldn't be because it's very confusing. (laughs) You can watch the first one, then you can watch this timeline, or you can watch the first two and you can the H2O timeline, or you can just watch up until H2O and then ignore the rest, or you can just watch the two Rob Zombie ones if you want. I know that some, if not all of them, are currently on Netflix in the UK, so for the actual sort of Halloween season, I might end up watching a couple. Yeah, it's fine, I guess, if you like that sort of thing. Which I really don't. I, mean, I do like the Halloween franchise, but I didn't like this one that much. Now, another thing I didn't like that much, Injustice, the evil Superman movie, the animated movie. Not great. Evil Superman, we'll talk about this later again. I'm sick of it. So sick of it. Can't we just have a good Superman? It's a novelty now that Superman is who he is. Why is do we have to bring Superman down to our level to make him interesting? That's not interesting to me. The interesting thing is this guy always rises above everything, always acts as an inspiration, is always the moral center of everything. But in this, Lois Lane is killed. He decides that he's going to make justice his own way. And then he does. And nobody can stop him because he's Superman. And you have this half-baked 
thing of Batman is the angel on his shoulder with Wonder Woman being the devil on his shoulder. So Batman's like, don't do this. You're better than this. And Wonder Woman's like, yeah, I'll help you. Cool. Let's go and do this. And then various other heroes pitch their tent in one direction or another. Hmm. It's far too short, so it can't tell its story properly. So you get to the point where, how did we get from here to here? I don't understand how this logic leap happens. And it does that a lot, which is a problem. Yeah, just not great. The voice cast are very good. Anson Mount makes her a great Batman. Justin Hartley's a, a good job on Superman. The other voices are, are decent. It's problematic for me. Very problematic. Sounds a bit like DC Civil War. Kind of, but <laughs> also not. It's confusing. <laughs> and lastly, but by no means leastly, I saw June mm. and... I enjoyed it. I thought it was really good. It doesn't work as a complete whole in itself, so it's not a story, really. It's more set up than it is payoff, which comes with problems. Some of the characterization's a bit thin, but the world building is excellent. The visuals are stunning. Villeneuve brings the world to life beautifully. The cast are amazing, if not used in the best way because it's all set up and there's no real payoff to stuff. So there's stuff that happens, and I do find myself questioning why I should care about it because there's so much world building happening and not enough digging into the characters. But I really enjoyed it. And they have actually just confirmed they're doing the second one. It's happening. They're making the second one. So they'll at least get to finish off this thing, the two film arc that Villeneuve is creating. So they'll get to adapt the full first book, which is great. Imagine they didn't get to do that. That would be pretty tragic. That hadn't been greenlit then. No, it hadn't, Um. no. Which is iffy, but it all worked out, it seems, so that's fine. But I know I really enjoyed it. Definitely see it and see it on the biggest screen you can. If you can see it in IMAX, definitely see it in IMAX. Very good. Probably had to see it at some point. You should, even though I've just said it's all world building. (laughs) If you're into world building (laughs) and giant worms. Well, I'm willing to give it another go. Not this iteration, obviously, but David Lynch, I've heard the arguments for and I've heard the arguments of what's wrong with it and yeah i was just never that taken with it but i'm i am willing to give it another go again not the lynch but the, <laughs> the story itself so yeah I'll go and see it why not yeah just as a visual experience so that's pretty much everything i've been watching i can think of i haven't seen eternals yet at time of recording so i'll tell you about that next month when that comes out which is on the 5th we're recording on the 26th of october so still a while away for us i know that people have seen it and their reactions i've stayed away from them so i don't know don't have anything to say about that do you have anything to plug i do not have anything to plug do you that was a short one well other than the reviews of the things that i'm doing legends of tomorrow supergirl etc i can also be found doing stuff on the we made this podcast network where i'm co-hosting the Rarely Going show, which is the Star Trek animated stuff that covers that. So we'll be doing Prodigy. I'll be alternately hosting the odd episode to talk about Star Trek Prodigy, which starts this week at time of recording, and I'm really excited about it. I'm also on Podcast 616 over there quite a lot over the next period of time, doing five Spider-Man movies in the run-up to No Way Home. I'm doing one, two, three, Amazing and Amazing 2. And I really want to do a Spider-Man 2 podcast for Neil Before Pod as well, because of the Alfred Molina thing, might as well mm. use that as an excuse to talk about it. You're so busy. All these things to plug. All these things to plug, <laughs> yeah. But that's about it. Not much else to plug at the moment. It's probably enough for one day, <laughs> for one lifetime. Okay, let us move on to trailers. To start this, I am going to open up a tight beam communication. I was told to use that because it's in 
vogue for the thing that we'll be talking about to Kat to talk about a couple of things. And then we'll come back to you, Angus, so you can sit in cryo sleep or something for a little while. I'm good too. I'm going to meditate over in the corner for a bit. Kat, are you receiving my tight beam communication? I've dusted this old thing off. I don't know if it works. Yes, I'm receiving. Hello, Craig, from deep space. <laughs> from deep space, but not too deep. I understand I have to be quite close to your ship in order to do this. Yes, I'm just within the belt. You have no idea what I'm talking about. <laughs> no, I've got a vague idea. I'm aware that in the Expanse universe, people live on asteroids in the asteroid belt and on Mars and on Earth and fly around in ships. Indeed. And that's about it. And something about a god particle. Something about that. Not quite, but sort of. Let's call it that. Proto-molecule, that's what it is. Proto-molecule, the musical. That was what the podcast was called. The Maybe not the last one, but one of them that you did was called that. See, I pay attention, even though I <laughs> don't pay that much attention. Anyway, I've drafted you in because you are a resident expert on a couple of things. First up, we have the Expanse Season 6 trailer. I'll level with the audience. I haven't watched this trailer, but I also haven't watched the first five seasons. So therefore... It would mean nothing to me. I'd be like, yeah, there's stuff happening here and I have no idea what the context <laughs> is, so I didn't watch it. So regale me and the audience with what you think of this trailer for, I believe it's the final season, is that correct? It is indeed. Season six is coming up right before my birthday as well. Thank you very much, Amazon, for this great birthday gift. <laughs> Things are going down, basically. I've not read the book that this season is going to be based on and I'm very happy that the trailer's not really spoiling anything other than giving us the mood. And the mood is all of the errant subplots and characters who are strewn about the solar system and beyond. Things are coming to a head on all fronts. And it's about time. Things have been building across all these different political levels and military levels and just relationships between characters. And it's going to be great to see where a lot of this heads. Essentially, one of the big subplots is there's a dude who needs to get what's coming to him. <laughs> and that's all I'm going to say. Marco Inaros is his name, and he just needs to get what's coming. I think that's where we're going with that. I'm really excited about it. My understanding is that generally the the sixth book kind of brings the main plot of The Expanse to a satisfactory close anyway. And then there's another three books that take place later, and I'm going to leave it at that. But it's not necessarily sequential. It doesn't take place immediately after. Yeah, I was going to bring that up because I had heard that there was a big time jump in between this book, even though it's the final season and it's not the final book. Yeah, so there's something like 30 years between book six and book seven. When they announced this was going to be the final season, even the writers were like, hey, we get to tell the main story and then the epilogue, who knows what's going to happen? And they kind of alluded to an open fate, which my guess is perhaps there's going to be some kind of film or some kind of video game or some kind of something. Because this universe originally started its life as a tabletop RPG world. The writers were kind of coming up with like a space Dungeons and Dragons, sort of. And then they realized that they actually had enough characters and enough of a plot of their own that they were like, actually, this would make a pretty good novel series. And it has. And then it the TV show's great, so all of that. I'm a little bit bittersweet about it finishing soon. It's just been my favorite thing on TV slash streaming 
since I've watched it. Yeah, it's going to be a bit, oh man, The Expanse is over. But at the same time, I'm excited to see what they might bring next. And this is going to be great. It's only going to be six episodes of about an hour and a half each. So we're getting basically six movies as opposed to your standard 40 to 50 minute episode. So that's a different approach as well, which I don't think that many shows have done. So it's going to be interesting to see how they handle that and how that is structured. Does that make sense? The beauty of not being confined to a 42-minute TV schedule or whatever it used to be. Exactly, yeah. With streaming, and I've noticed this a little bit with Amazon things and with Netflix things, is that sometimes episode lengths can vary wildly because it's like, oh, well, this episode only needs to be half an hour long, but the next episode needs to be an hour long. And so it's like, oh, okay, that's unconventional, but if it serves the story, then go for it. So yeah, so six movie-length episodes with Amazon money, so you know it's going to look great. And yeah, most of the cast is coming back. One of the cast is pointedly not. For those of you who have heard us talk about season five of The Expanse, you'll know one of the core cast is not coming back. But everyone else is, and I'm very, very excited to see them all finish their characters' arcs. It's going to be emotional, I think. You say about it being kind of bittersweet that it's finishing, but at least it's getting to finish, because I remember... Oh, when it I got do. Canceled, we both had a similar mourning period because Lucifer got cancelled roughly yes. about the same time mm-hmm. and both got brought back. Lucifer finished its final season a couple of months ago on Netflix and I thought it was a really good ending. I really enjoyed it. So, yeah, we both got to see those shows that we Come like. Come back and actually finish, finish their yeah. life. Yeah. yeah, and I'm very grateful for that. I was rooting and campaigning for the show to be picked up by somebody. <laughs> I'd made a YouTube video that the writers saw and then they followed me on Twitter. It was weird. Nice. I have a lot of love for this show and I'm so glad that it didn't just abruptly end when it was really building something. And in fact, it got to really see it through and build the thing it was building. And that may or may not be a pun that you know nothing about because you haven't seen the show. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I haven't seen it yet. I will one day, but, but not today. Very, very excited. A little bittersweet about it, but it's my favorite thing, so I'm going to relish it. All six, one and a half hours episodes of it. <laughs> Did you read the article that was doing the rounds about how Amazon got a hold of the show? Apparently there was some Amazon conference and Jeff Bezos was like, make oh, this yeah. happen, get it for Oh, yeah, platform. yeah, no, I mean, I was aware of it when it this like, happened. I don't care what it takes, make it happen. <laughs> Bezos is a fan of the books. Right before that conference was when a bunch of fans pooled money and paid for a plane to fly above the Amazon headquarters with a big <laughs> banner that said hashtag save the expanse. And then, yeah, the conference was happening and Bezos was like, oh my God, I love the expanse books. Yeah, make it happen. I don't care what it takes. <laughs> He is an evil billionaire. (laughs) (laughs) He wishes he was an evil billionaire. Yeah, he really tries. He really tries. There's a great YouTube video about this by Eddie Burback. He does try to be an evil billionaire. He's just a profound weirdo. And he really likes sci-fi books. And I'm grateful we shared this interest because, for once, all of that money came in handy and was useful. So thank you for that. Just think all that crap you bought from Amazon helped fund getting the show back on the air. Some of this crap I bought from Amazon helped William Shatner go into space for real, so... Whatever helps you sleep at night. (laughs) 
I mean, it's 90-year-old rich guy goes to space. It's not a great story in a way, but it's William Shatner, so yeah. I'm conflicted. Cool. So very excited about that by the sounds of things. There will be a podcast. I will task Chris with organising that when it becomes pertinent in January yeah. or something. Because it's on in December, isn't it? Early mm-hmm. December. So as you said, around your birthday, which is great. I'm glad you're excited about it. I'm excited for you, even though I've never seen <laughs> the show myself. But one day I will. It's just... I haven't yet. It's in my wheelhouse. It just hasn't been something I've engaged with yet. It will happen. I'm almost certain. Okay, let's move on to another big book franchise adapted into live-action media. There is a prequel spin-off to Game of Thrones called House of the Dragon. I did watch this trailer. It didn't really mean much to me. It's a very short teaser anyway. It's Matt Smith talking about how dragons helped define them or something. There's grand halls and expensive-looking sets, expensive-looking costumes, and a very ominous, moody tone. In fact, I'd accidentally had the captions on on YouTube when I was watching it, and the very first thing that comes up is ominous music as the caption. (laughs) So that about sums it up for me. It doesn't really mean much to me. I haven't seen Game of Thrones, which is, as you said off-air, achievement in itself. At this point, absolutely a commendable achievement. you got to put in effort to avoid everything associated with it. It's easy to not watch something, though. It's very <laughs> easy to true. just not watch something. That is true. That's me and all the DC shows. I'm really sorry. So yeah, so Game of Thrones, I was really into from the first year it aired to the last year it aired. My God. And so this one comes at a particularly strange time because everyone, everyone has kind of lost, not interest, but faith that this will be any good because the last couple of seasons and in particular the last season of game of thrones was complete and total garbage this one is a very very prequel it's not going to feature any of the characters that we know from game of thrones it's set hundreds of years in the past and it's got to do with the targaryen family the character played by amelia clark daenerys they're her ancestors basically these are the people who took over westeros 300 years in the past, they flew over from another continent on their dragons, lay waste to the people who had no dragons and had no idea what the heck is going on. How do we fight these things? There's magic, huh? And they just took over. They became kings and queens. It's three siblings. Matt Smith is the oldest and he has two sisters, and I think he's also married to them, because that's a thing in pure bloodlines of Westeros and everywhere else in that world. I am vaguely interested because I've read a lot of the background stuff. I've read Fire and Blood, which I think this is largely based on, which is kind of a history book set in that world that kind of tells the story of House Targaryen, going back thousands of years even, but mostly focusing on the reign from these people to Daenerys at the end of Game of Thrones. So I know of them and I know about a lot of things they've done and a lot of events that potentially we get to see in the show. And in theory, this is all very interesting. I have a bit of a qualm with casting Matt Smith because I just can't unsee him as the doctor. And so to (laughs) me, it's just very strange to hear his voice and then see him in a Targaryen wig and stuff. That's just a very strange image to me. But I'm sure we'll get used to it, and I'm sure he'll be great because he's a very good actor. And I'm interested to see if this will be better 
<laughs> than the last few years of Game of Thrones, because if it's anything like that, if the dialogue is bad television, I'm not here for it anymore. My patience has run thin, and I'm sure I'm not alone in this. So I think it's got a challenge to overcome, which was very much self-inflicted by HBO and the people behind Game of Thrones at the very end there. So I hope that they rise to it and that they've produced something that's solid and well done. I'm sure that on the production side of things, it's going to look great, going to be well made. They don't necessarily skimp on the expenses. So I'm sure that on that front, that's going to be great. As long as they hide the Starbucks cups. <laughs> Too true. <laughs> Too true. Although that was really funny. That was very funny when that happened. <laughs> A I'm sure. hilarious time for all involved on the internet. And they did delete it. They removed it afterwards. Oh, that's a shame. Yeah, yeah, I know. But what a time, though. So yeah, vaguely excited, cautiously optimistic, maybe question mark. And it's funny because my partner hasn't seen Game of Thrones either. So I'm just going to be watching this by myself. <laughs> <laughs> They're going to be like, what's happening? Who's this? And I'm like, yeah. listen, shh, dragons. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you said there's a bit of a bitter taste in the mouth of the fandom and such, but I think it's probably a case of protesting a bit too much. It's, I'm never watching anything to do with this franchise again because of a bad season of television. But then something comes out, it's like, fine, I'll watch it. Ah, fine, I'll watch it. I'm watching Better Call Saul at the moment, and he introduces the concept of the fallacy of sunk cost. Once you've invested a lot of time and effort into something, you might as well see it through. Like me with a flash. Yeah, it's exactly like that. Or, you know, like me and Game of Thrones originally. I've been here and some cost, in fact, money because I signed up to Sky originally to get Sky Atlantic so I can watch Game of Thrones, literally. And I was with them for 10 years. So the money I've paid to Sky <laughs> so I can watch Game of Thrones, literally a sunk cost. It's like, well, I'm here now. I've paid them this. Might as well stay and finish the thing. <laughs> yeah, so we'll see where this goes. I do hope that they've learned some lessons from what happened with Game of Thrones and they don't take the conventional approach. The whole reason, I think, that Game of Thrones kind of ushered a new era of prestige television is because their approach to everything was more cinematic than it was TV, and that included dialogue, it included everything to the film language of the show. So towards the end, they were just basically making average TV, but with big budget VFX and costumes. And it really showed. It showed to the point that we don't talk about Game of Thrones anymore. And that was the biggest TV show for seven or eight years that we had seen ever. The numbers that was pulling, the money that was making, it was just a phenomenon. It was everywhere. And what the last two, and especially the last year, did was it just kind of erased it from the cultural landscape. We just don't talk about Game of Thrones anymore because it was such a disappointment. So will this reignite people's love for the Game of Thrones world and the history and stuff. There's just so much material that is worth exploring within that world. So I want these adaptations to happen, but I want them to be good. Because <laughs> if they're not good, then what is the point? I'd rather just read the books, you know? I'll sit there and read Fire and Blood and The World of Ice and Fire, which is a fantastic companion history book that kind of spans the entire world. It's great. I love that. I love that so much. So please don't mess it up. 
please, 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 <laughs> with a cherry on top. HBO. <laughs> well, we'll see. We'll see how it goes. I won't. You will. Yes. <laughs> the royal we, as in an audience, will see how it goes. Indeed. I do have one final bonus item that we can discuss. Ooh. It was one thing that you were on last month, and I didn't notice until it was too late. So I'm going to throw this in here before we cut communications. A movie revival of the Teen Wolf MTV series is in the works at Paramount Plus as part of a new overall deal series creator Jeff Davis has signed with MTV Entertainment Studios. Davis' multi-year deal will see him write and executive produce the film with talks currently underway with original series cast members to return. The news comes on the four-year anniversary of the original Teen Wolf finale on MTV, which was a while ago now because I didn't notice this last month. In addition to the Teen Wolf movie, Davis will also develop a new series for the streamer based on Ido Van Belcom's Wolfpack books, with Davis serving as the showrunner on the series. What do you think of this? I know you're a Teen Wolf person. A woo is what I will say. Teen Wolf was a very, very big part of my life when it was originally airing. I dove head into the fandom. I was writing fan fiction and making art online. This was in the heyday of Tumblr. So everyone was just super into Teen Wolf and into the shipping and the, you know, just it was great. So I was very excited to hear about this because Teen Wolf kind of went out with a whimper because of several factors, but I think crucially the beginning of the end was when a bunch of the core cast started dropping off in order to pursue. We're going to do movies now. See you later, losers. Well, yeah, what I was going to say is what they perceived as more lucrative opportunities. And it worked out for some of them and it didn't work out for some of them. It didn't work out for most of them. I'm sorry to say. And what this meant was a, their career didn't really go anywhere because they got greedy and they were like, oh, I'm going to leave this and go in search of something better. And then that something better never came. But then also that meant that the show didn't have the characters in play to wrap up crucial storylines and things that they had built up and set up. And so what that meant was that I think even from season three, which is about halfway through, they had a whole storyline planned. There was a secondary character slash kind of antagonist who was going to get basically kind of protagonist status. And he went on to Arrow (laughs) for a couple years, I think. Colton Haynes. Colton Haynes. Yeah. And I think it kind of worked out for him. I'm glad for him as a person, but not glad for what he did to the show because he gave people ideas And so then other people started leaving. By the time we got to season four and five, they started having to introduce new characters because they were like, well, nobody's left. (laughs) We've had to send people away or kill people off or whatever. So they started introducing these new kids. And it was kind of hard by that point to get attached to them because it was like, who are you and why should I care? And then Dylan O'Brien got injured on the set of The Maze Runners. He couldn't be in the last season, I think, or season and a half. Tyler Hecklin went on to do big things in cinema. He was in that Linklater movie, but now he's on the Superman show. Now he's Superman. He's doing all right. Very happy for him because he's really good and he's a really sweet guy and he deserves all of it. He's a great Superman. Yeah, and that's really great to hear as well because I haven't seen it. But yeah, it was kind of tough to be invested in a show when Dylan O'Brien was gone, Tyler Hecklin was gone, all of the kind of core 
couples sort of of the show had more or less disappeared because people had left. So I'm excited to see if Jeff Davis is going to be able to complete his vision because he had stuff planned (laughs) for Beacon Hills and the Wolves Within that we never got to see. It was implied that there was a kind of background character who knew about all the wolves and the other creatures that existed and we never picked that storyline up you've got tyler posey etc those characters being like oh we got to keep this a secret people can't find (laughs) out but if there's already a contingent of people who know about all these creatures then what does that mean they had built such an interesting mythology taking creatures from different folklore bits from around the world and making them their own. I thought that it was so brilliantly done, so original. There were no vampires. This started around like 2011, I think. And so it was peak twilight. And so they were like, we're not doing the werewolves and vampires thing. No vampires on the show ever. <laughs> Goodbye. And so they really got creative. They brought in a lizard monster from, I forget even what it was called. They brought in Latin American myths and creatures. And they also built up the werewolf mythos and what the powers are and what they can do. It was very unique. I don't think that any other piece of werewolf media, so to speak, had ever done it like that before. And so it was just a very creative, very queer norm as well. There was no homophobia in that world. You had bisexual and gay characters and nobody batted an eye. It was great. I'm very excited that Davis gets a second chance to do this. And maybe we get to see some of our favorite characters. I know the entire internet is like, if Dylan O'Brien's not in this, then what's the point? I kind of agree. Let's be real. He kind of stole the show. He was the breakaway star from it. So I do want him to be back. I don't know if Tyler Hecklin's schedule will allow it. I don't know if Tyler Posey wants to take time off his OnlyFans to do (laughs) Teen Wolf again. But please come back. We like you. So yeah, as a fan, as a diehard, this just brought back 22-year-old me being like, oh my God, yes. I can't believe it. This was almost 10 years ago now. That's crazy. But it was such a big part of my life. And when do you get the chance to do that sort of thing, get immersed in that world again, because they're revisiting it in an earnest way? Because it's not going to be a remake, because I don't think that there's any interest in that. So Okay, great. Next chapter of the story. Let's go. Bring Styles back. <laughs> the show itself is kind of a remake because of the Michael J. Fox movie. It is. Yeah, way. yeah, yeah, absolutely. I would even argue it doesn't connect to the, to the Michael J. Fox movie. No, I've heard the connections basically end with the title. The title and the character's name, the main character's name is Scott McCall, and then that's it. <laughs> yeah, that's it. <laughs> Everything else is different. Yeah. But fair enough. Adaptation or, I don't know, reimagining or something. I don't know. There'll be a name for it. Hmm. Reading this article, I became aware of this years ago, but obviously I pushed it out of my brain, but reading about MTV, it was the network it was on at the time. And I remember hearing about it way back and assuming that it was on the CW and being surprised Mm -hmm. when I found out it was on MTV because everything about the setup that I knew about that I'd read about seemed to scream CW. And other people I know that have watched it have suggested that it is a bit CW in the way that it's set up, in the way that it's constructed and so on. And even a lot of the actors go on to, as you say, be on CW shows. So it's almost like we're making a CW show, not on the CW, which I found kind of interesting. It's neither here nor there, but it's just one of those things, isn't it? And Mm -hmm. you're talking about feeling old with it being 10 years ago, near enough. A conversation that I may or may not have already recorded with Chris that will be coming up later talks about 20 years of Smallville. So 
Good yeah. God, 20 <laughs> years? Yeah, that definitely makes me feel old. I remember being super into Smallville when I was in... Nice fun. Thank you. Middle school, high school. God, such a long time ago. I, was I feel ancient I was now. Yeah, mm, great. <laughs> <laughs> Because I was just kind of starting high school, sort of. Well, I was in high school at the time it was on. So it was right in my wheelhouse. Plus it was Superman. So it's all for me. So that's more Superman chat on this Teen Wolf discussion. But yeah, mm-hmm. I just wanted to get your take on that. And now I've done it. So that's cool. So yeah, thanks for joining for this communication high-speed not high-speed communication. Information superhighway. Thank you so much for having me. It's always great to come on here and dump all my nerdy thoughts onto your listeners' ears. Always great to let you. Yeah. (laughs) Please come chat to me about Teen Wolf. That'd be great. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, cool. I will let you get back to sitting in your asteroid or whatever you're doing. Yes. Okay, bye. (laughs) Closing communication. Hey, there we go. Thank you, Kat, for contributing there we are ready to move on the first up trailer is another one i can't believe they've released another trailer so soon after the last one which didn't feel like that long ago but we have another trailer for ghostbusters afterlife so what do you think of this trailer do you have a big connection to the original ghostbusters film and their attempt to reboot it i suppose my connection is that i watched it at the right time in my life where it became a nostalgia piece for me again i was young enough when the second one came into my life that i don't really see it as as bad as a lot of people thought it was at the time i've got time for both of the originals and i think that the main selling point is the cast and i think that has been the problem with anything that they try and do afterwards is that trying to recapture that chemistry was always going to be really difficult to do. I haven't seen the, was it 2016 reboot with the Lady Ghostbusters because it just didn't appeal to me. I, you know, there was obviously tons of uproar at the time and I'm not interested in that either. So I, I haven't seen it. Why do you hate women? Why do you hate women? <laughs> I just want all my Ghostbusters to be men. <laughs> <laughs> not children so for this i can see what they're going for there's massive nostalgia factor and whenever you see anything from the originals in the trailer it's cool it's interesting to see that and i am looking forward to watching it i'm a little concerned that it's kind of uh what if we take a little bit of stranger things and a little bit of ghostbusters and mash them together you know these are things people like so that's my concern is that it's trying to play off the nostalgia trying to be something that it's maybe not but taking kind of successful things and and milking them for a bit as i say the original team are my favorite thing about the ghostbusters and i know that there's going to be cameos or a cameo and i don't know if that's enough to really sell me on it but There's probably a lot of people out there who are really looking forward to it. I'm willing to be won over by it. I have no idea if this is an attempt to create a new series of films. I don't know if we're going to be hanging out with the kid Ghostbusters for several movies. But if this one turns out well and it it recaptures my love of busting, (laughs) then yeah, I could see me being interested in, in another couple. Sure. I like the original Ghostbusters as well. And I quite like Ghostbusters too as well. I haven't really seen the second one that much. I've seen the first one a load of times including a couple of times at the cinema, which was nice because they re-release it every now and again. It just appears and it's good to see it on the big screen. I'm not a huge fanatic on the films like a lot of people seem to be. And like you, I haven't seen the 2016 one. It's because I hate women. That's why I didn't see it. Thank you for being so brave to admit that. Someone's going to quote that out of context (laughs) and it's going to destroy my life. That's what's going to happen. I'll be listening to what this guy said on this podcast. No, I didn't see it because it didn't appeal to me. I don't really like Paul Feig films, so it just didn't look like I was going to enjoy it, so I didn't bother going to see it. I did get someone else to review it at the time. If I hadn't been able to, I would have went to see it just to review it, but I didn't need to, so I didn't bother, and I still haven't seen it in 
probably won't now. I mean, it's been and gone. It's had its day. And, but I know it has its fans. I know a few people that really enjoyed it and possibly like it more than the original, which is fine. Again, it's whatever you connect to. That's great. But this one is very much throwing out the 2016 one and following on from the originals. Is it pandering to a toxic section of the internet or is it just nostalgia, nostalgia, nostalgia? Is this the Force Awakens of Ghostbusters? Is this what we're looking at here? The Stranger Things connection, I caught that as well. It's very close to that. Plus, isn't one of the kids from Stranger Things? Yes. Finn Wolfhard, I can't remember what his character's called in Stranger Things. Feels like it's dealing with very similar subject matter, kind of supernatural stuff. We're in a town and weird stuff is happening. And it's all an underworldy, ghosty type thing. And yeah, we're going to discover that. It's the same sort of idea. But I think that's fine. Latch on to whatever's popular in, maybe not horror, I can call Stranger Things horror. I yeah, so. but it's weird because Stranger Things is set in the 80s around the time. In fact, they even dress up as Ghostbusters in Stranger Things. So they can't possibly exist in the same universe. I'm trying to look for connections here where you could think, right, well, there's got to be some strange <laughs> way of tying this all together. But no, I don't think it's possible. No, the Ghostbusters aren't going to go into the upside down uh, no. or whatever it's called. <laughs> That's fine. Not everything needs to be connected. But yeah, it looks good. Paul Rudd. I'm hard-pressed to have a problem with Paul mm-hmm. Rudd in anything. Mm-hmm. They've got mini Stay Puffs, so they're trying to get their own Baby Yoda thing in stores for Christmas. And yeah, it looks fine. It's already been screened at festivals and things, so there's reviews out there if you want. And I guess I'll mention what I thought of it next month, because it's out in the middle of November, so it's not that far away. Could be even be when you're listening to this new roundup later in the month that I've already seen it and can't tell you about it, because this is the past where I haven't seen it. <laughs> Speaking of nostalgia, this next one... <sighs> Home Sweet Home Alone. We have a... I don't want to call it a remake of Home Alone. Could it be a sequel? Because we'll talk about it. But, oh God, this looks grim. I remember when they announced the cast of this, I predicted that it was going to be a Disney-sanitized version of the original Home Alone. Because the original Home Alone, listen to our Christmas games from last year, it's very brutal. It is incredibly brutal. (laughs) People get set on fire, hit in the face with paint cans. There's serious damage that gets done to these Mm. people. My prediction was it's probably going to be a much more slapsticky, much more tongue-in-cheek version of that, where people will fall into traps, but they're not that severe. And that's exactly what the trailer gives you. He jumps on a trampoline and hits a tree and gets back up. I know that Joe Pesci gets back up after he's set on fire or his hand is monogrammed with a doorknob things like that but he's injured it doesn't look like there'll be a lot of sustained injuries in this version and i don't know why this exists it's got a lot of good people in it which is the annoying thing as well i like a lot of the actors and why are you doing this why why home alone's already on disney plus just watch that re-release it in cinemas you'll make a killing in fact they always do yeah this time of year but there is a McAllister who might be the cop Macaulay Culkin quickly took to the internet and said, that is not me, I'm not in this film. Either he's lying, I prefer to think that it's all grown up buzz, he's become a police mm-hmm, officer. Mm-hmm. That's what I was thinking. I agree, I think this is a kind of good cast, bad idea sort of scenario. I was asking myself, is this a remake? Because there's so many almost direct lines, or they've changed it ever so slightly. He kind of repeats a line about, I made my family disappear. It's not the same thing, but it's so similar that you think, is this happening again, but in some sort of bizarro universe? <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I'm thinking about it in terms of when I used to watch Home Alone back in the day when I was a kid and I was obsessed with characters like Bart Simpson and Kevin McAllister who were basically just <laughs> tiny bastards. And I was like, these guys are cool. And my mum hated Kevin McAllister because she was like, he is a brat. She hated everything about him. And when I was watching this trailer and I was looking at that kid and I was like, oh, I'm going to feel that way about this. I won't watch this movie, but just 
seeing that kid. He was good in Jojo Rabbit. I've got nothing against the actor. He's probably acting well in this as well, but I can see myself kind of becoming an older person as I watch this thinking, <laughs> oh God, this kid's so annoying. And it's basically exactly what my mom used to tell me about why I shouldn't be watching Home Alone. <laughs> this kid who will grow up to be a serial killer in the case yeah. of Kevin McAllister, possibly. <laughs> I quite like the Home Alone is in the Saw universe and Kevin McAllister is Jigsaw. I like that connection that you can make. That's a fun connection, but yeah, it's not good, no. is it? It really isn't. The criminals seem to not be criminals, but somehow they're yeah, criminals. they're kind of... I don't understand what's going on they're there. They're not the hardened career wet bandits that we're used to. No. I wonder this about a lot of things that I used to watch as a kid. In the 90s, Jim Carrey films, I could watch those over and over again. And yeah, there's stuff in there that wouldn't be in a movie today that probably wouldn't fly it probably shouldn't have been in films back then especially not films that lots of kids were going to be watching and i wonder if if i was to come to that at this age would i just think what is he doing we shouldn't be showing this to kids why did anyone green light this it probably is a pretty straightforward answer of if you saw it when you were the right age then you love it and if you're too old for it then you hate it i could see kids liking this but as you say we already have Home Alone. Why not just rerun that and introduce a whole new generation to chucking irons in people's faces? <laughs> yeah, just this kid brutalizing these two criminals who, for some reason, won't give up despite how many injuries they sustain. Thirsty for more. They are. They're just thirsty for more. I wonder if you'll be able to expand on your Home Alone game with whatever goes on in this one. <laughs> That would mean I'd have to watch it. I'm going to watch it. I'm morbidly curious. Oh, no, don't watch it. Don't ever show up as a statistic as someone who supported (laughs) this. So that's that, Home Sweet Home Alone. Ugh, it's not. But I'll watch it. I actually will, because I'm too curious, and I want to be justifiably indignant about this. (laughs) Maybe I'll love it, I don't know. (laughs) We're still in the nostalgia train here with Scream, which we alluded to earlier. So this is Scream 5, but it's just called Scream. So that's going to really confuse people when they come to buy the DVD. It's one of those things where you ask your grandparents for something and you say, can I get Scream on Blu-ray? And then they buy the first one. Like, no, not, not this one. Not this one. I don't want this. Oh, you'd want the first one. But if that's not what you asked for, then you go, oh, great. <laughs> one ninety nine they spent on this. Brilliant. And uh, not the £20 steelbook. I don't know what I'm getting at here, but there's a fifth Scream film and it's got a lot of the original cast in it. Certainly Neve Campbell and Courtney Cox are in there. And what I took from the trailer is that it's about the toll this takes on people, as in uh, I was almost killed several times by copycat killers and ghost face masks and the emotional and psychological consequences that has for people, which is kind of what Halloween Kills was about in a way. And it seems to be a lot of these 20 years on or whatever it is, horror franchises getting a revival with original actors in them. It's about what did these events do to me? When they did infinite sequels with the same actors in them, they just seemed to kind of take it in their stride. I know in the Scream films, they would often talk about the events of the previous film. Would they not usually be I don't know, on a book tour or something like that? in those earlier ones or they would be capitalizing on it in some way yeah it was always really meta the first one was obviously very meta and then it was kind of expanded on that with diminishing returns but in the second one they're at a screening of the movie adaptation of the first one so stuff's happening on screen that you saw previously but it's being played by actors now and then people start getting killed oh no that's the third one (laughs) i think that's the third one no it is the second second one that starts starts with with the screening of yeah because I remember Sydney was like, oh, my life is a story or whatever. It's like, yeah, but you took the money, so yeah, shut up. <laughs> or maybe she didn't. Is it the second one or then the third one? The stab is the in 
universe movie version of what had happened she visits the set i think it is in the third one where she does this because jay and silent bob are on a studio tour (laughs) which just goes to show (laughs) what was happening by the time you got to the second sequel for it they had the set of woodsboro and and the house and all this kind of stuff so massively meta i was kind of thinking that about this as well in that it's almost as if the beginning it plays out exactly as it did back then so many copycats from the previous movies although they're answering the question of what would happen if you put smartphones into scream because you get to see almost exactly what would happen at the beginning of the first one if drew barrymore had had an app that could lock her doors and things like that yeah they get hacked that's the scary thing this time (laughs) they're in your information they've stolen your facebook account they're not going to kill you they're just going to discredit you online it's even worse it's a fate worse than death i can see what they're doing and they're kind of updating that language of horror in this which has been happening in the scream movies when they assess what a horror movie is and the characters are all talking very literally about what to do and what not to do in a horror movie before they then before they do it of course yeah but i can't fault it for that because that's what it's supposed to be but then i think that you could do things like that with cabin in the woods take things apart and analyze them like that and do it in a way that isn't rebooting or creating a sequel years and years down the line calling it the same name as the original i don't know is that a sort of meta meta commentary on this is like it's all happening again the halloween not the latest halloween but the halloween before halloween kills was halloween was called halloween but that was a direct sequel to halloween so we've got the same scenario now where scream (laughs) followed by scream and then god knows scream kills is this one ignoring the other three then no i don't think so then again that doesn't make sense you've got scream two three four scream is it about things being cyclical is it all going to happen all over again i was smiling watching it i know i'm being kind of cynical about it now but i am a big fan of the series so i definitely was kind of grinning at certain bits of it david arquette is in there doing his deputy jury stuff i can't help but like it so i will see this and i probably will like a lot of it whenever they chuck in a reference i love that and then the bits of it that i don't like as much I'll just have to take the rough with the smooth because they've already <laughs> sold me on it. I'll probably see it. I do really need to rewatch the old films. Well, maybe I don't, but I do want to rewatch the old films and actually watch the fourth one because I haven't seen it. I heard no good things about it at the time. I was in a very similar position then where I thought, I don't need a new screen movie, but I will watch a new screen movie. And I wasn't all that impressed by it, but they did basically the same things. I'm sure they just chucked in references and things there. If you were familiar with it, then you loved it. If younger people who haven't seen the older ones want to go and see this, those references will probably mean nothing. But if it's a good enough movie for them, then they'll enjoy it. I did think that some of it isn't, maybe it's just because the originals were in the late nineties, early two thousands. I feel like horror has moved on a wee bit and that they've, tried to capture that with just the way that the trailer looks in some ways so i just don't know whether or not that'll translate or that will fit in the scream universe but uh, yeah we'll see yeah watch this space someone will talk about it at some point and say that they saw it okay we're getting out of nostalgia territory for a little while here next up is a netflix movie and i'm famous for saying that i don't watch netflix movies but (laughs) (laughs) newsflash here's one that i will actually make time to watch it's called tick tick boom and it's The second trailer for this, we talked about the first trailer some time ago. don't remember how long ago, whenever it appeared. And it's Andrew Garfield playing the guy that wrote the musical Rent, which is a musical I haven't seen. So it's a truish story, I don't know. But it does resonate with me in some ways, at least in this trailer. It seems to be about the difficulties of being creative and making something yourself and not believing that you're able to do it, but still feeling compelled to do it. I know a lot about what that's like, especially lately, and it's not easy. It's not easy to keep yourself motivated, 
But it's also about life being finite and making the most of the time you have. There's references to, I've lost so many people, I've been to so many funerals, or whatever the line is that he says. It's very obvious that that's its theme in the trailer because it comes up as words on the screen <laughs> between clips. So it's, here's our theme, or one of them, and do that. And yeah, mental challenges associated with self-belief, all very relatable stuff. The music seems catchy based on what I've displayed here. And Andrew Garfield, I like Andrew Garfield. I really do hope he's lying about being in Spider-Man because I want to see him back in that role. I've rewatched the Amazing Spider-Man movies to prepare for my stint on Podcast 616 talking about them. And oh boy, do I have things to say about the Amazing Spider-Man movies. But generally positive about Andrew Garfield because I do think he's a good talent. I haven't seen a lot of what he's been in. I've seen a few things. I remember my first exposure to him was well, it was Doctor Who, actually. He's in a couple episodes of that in a very small role. But after that, it was The Social Network. He really stood out to me there. And I've seen the odd thing. He seems to have made his Spider-Man money in doing a lot of weird indie stuff that he really wants to do, which, yeah, cool. And this is a big Netflix thing that he's doing. So I like the look of this. I'm actually pretty keen for it, and I will watch it. For me, we've just been speaking about Meta, and I think a movie directed by Lin-Manuel Miranda about the struggle of, of putting a musical together i think he probably can identify with that maybe i also don't know anything about rent or about the writer jonathan larson that andrew garfield's playing so nothing about that gripped me about it because when it came up with that at the beginning i thought okay i don't know anything about him i'm not all that interested in this story but i think lin-manuel miranda is so so successful and has obviously tons of fans around the world i can see this being the sort of thing that if i were to watch by accident somehow if i were to not know what <laughs> Oh, I was about to see and then ended up watching it I could see myself really liking it because he just does really good work if you kind of told me the synopsis and I'd think mm, yeah I'm probably just going to give that a miss but I could see if Natalie wanted to stick it on and I can see this being really good it's a weird position to be in because I'm not particularly motivated to watch it but I have this feeling <laughs> that it can't be bad so that's my position <laughs> Well, the trailer has done its job in some ways, even though you might not watch it. Let's move on. Also, Lin-Manuel Miranda, Encanto, big Disney film that he's doing. Looks pretty fun. Magic House. It seems to be about figuring yourself out and not judging yourself in comparison to what others achieve or have, which is a really good message to promote to young people. Again, talking about Ron's Gone Wrong, the issue of you're always seeing what other people are doing or the image that other people are presenting of themselves and... It's very difficult not to compare yourself to that. That's not what the film is doing. It's not talking about someone posted on Facebook that they're climbing a mountain or whatever, and I'm not climbing any mountains. So I don't know what to make of myself after that. But it's about all my brothers and stuff can do magic, but I can't. I have to find my little power and my spell and whatever it is. And there seems to be a lot of pressure in the family to do that. And it's kind of about discovering yourself and all that stuff and the music looks catchy visually it looks fun but yeah i'm always up for a bit of let's throw some positive messaging in a fun packaging type situation i was thinking watching this trailer that i think this was probably the one where i first started thinking i could use my notes from luca when we talked about that in may <laughs> for this because i think it looks great it looks lovely as these disney movies always do 
the music sounds good i'm sure there's going to be tons of catchy stuff in that so it, it's almost like my thoughts for tick tick boom as well where i don't go out of my way to, to catch every latest disney animations but invariably when i do see them i really like them because they're always really well made they always look great they always sound great again <laughs> if i ended up watching this by accident or the sort of thing where we sometimes as a family we'll stick one on at christmas you know what's the latest disney animation i can see it being really good really moving it's usually the same watch it with a tear in your eye i can see all of these things being true for this one when i get around to watching it i will enjoy it and what more can we say than that Let's move on to the 355, which I have very little to say about. It looks like a bare bones basic action movie, but with a really good cast. It looks like it's a lot of style over substance, but is it going to be stylish enough? Is it going to be good enough? Based on the two trailers we've had already, this being the latest one, nah, not overly impressed with what I've seen so far. It's just one of those films, they release them every now and again and they happen. (laughs) They're not going to set the world on fire. No one will remember it a year from now or a year after it comes out yeah i'd agree with that i mean we've both admitted that we hate women on this podcast so <laughs> that's it We're i deep don't in. need to see an action movie about women nah i agree with what you said if this was starring men and about men i'd think i could take or leave this movie i think it's great that they're making more action movies starring women that's brilliant if people want to go and see it yeah women should have a slate of mediocre action movies too <laughs> exactly <deserve> yeah <laughs> There's tons of movies about guys doing this, which is kind of a shame because that's probably what puts me off seeing this. I've seen this before. I can't say that I'm <laughs> I'm excited or anything. It I, I it did look stylish. It did look like it could have some good action in it, but I don't know. As I say, it could have been anyone and I, I wouldn't have been all that up for it. Sure. Back to Netflix for the next one. Cowboy Bebop, an adaptation of an anime. People are losing their minds over this because... They've so faithfully recreated the visual imagery of the anime in live action. So people like that immediately. I have no connection to the source material, but I think it looks stylish and off the wall and cool and looks like it'll be a mile a minute and all that stuff. Certainly enough to excite people, but I'm not sure it's really for me. I watched the trailer and I thought, I don't think this is (laughs) going to be for me. I don't think I'll even watch this because I just have no interest, but I do think it looks good. But at the same time, Things can look good, but also not be for me. And I think that's exactly what this is. I'm in a similar boat. I don't know anything about it. I know it's really successful and it must have legions of fans. That's good if it's already going over well with them. I agree the trailer was interesting. Watching a lot of these trailers, I was kind of just noticing a pattern. It's been said before, but a lot of them are really formulaic. So seeing something that was a bit different, obviously because it's based on something that's totally visually different than a lot of film or TV that we've seen before, was interesting for me. I enjoyed watching it as a trailer for a change. I was wondering whether or not it's going to be presented like that the whole way. I have to assume that it's not going to be as, you know, there has to be a bit more of a flow to it than just constantly cutting between panels and stuff. I liked all that stuff. I don't know whether or not you could sustain it for a whole movie or if it will play well like that. But yeah, I like the trailer. I'll maybe wait and see what opinions are on it about whether or not I give it a watch because there's just no connection for me with the source material stuff. So if it gets raves and it turns out that it's really good, then yeah, I could see me giving this one a watch. Yeah, I like some of the visual trickery, the pulling the panel across and it changes the location mm-hmm. that they're in and pulling out the border and hitting someone with it and stuff like that. So the proper fourth wall breaking stuff, the characters seem to be in control of this world that they're in, in a lot of ways. Again, visually very interesting, but I think it will just go over my head if I try and watch it. That is something I worry about with anything really, but I have that feeling about anime, especially where if you're in, you're in. And if you know what they're talking about, 
and obviously they're going to make it accessible because you want as many people to see it as possible but would I miss a lot of stuff that is there for the diehards and for people who know what they're looking for didn't have time to pin Andrew down for a chat about the Cowboy Bebop trailer but I will ask him about it at some other point and it will be recorded and he can regale people with his thoughts on it because he's into that stuff but yeah for us maybe not our mm. style which is fine not everything is for everyone that's fine Speaking of things that aren't for everyone, certainly not for me, Wolf, which is a film about George Mackay thinking he's a wolf or identifying as a wolf and living in the woods and stuff like that. It looks really weird and it looks interesting, but it looks really weird. And I don't think it's really my speed, but I quite like what it's getting at the whole identification thing. Is this a medically diagnosable problem or is it just another identity thing that should be embraced? Which is it and where are we going to land on this? And I think that's a really good idea to play with. Based on this trailer, I just don't think it's necessarily for me. But I was quite fascinated by what it was getting at or seemed to be getting at. But I don't know if I'm in a rush to see it. Mm, yeah, for me, there were a couple of things that it made me think of. I agree with you. I think that that theme is an interesting one to explore. It made me think of movies and books and stuff. At first, I was thinking this is a bit like The Lobster because all these people are going to this facility or I think it's a hotel in The Lobster and you're going to be turned into an animal. And I thought, oh, this is like the reverse of that. It made me think of cats because of people kind of embodying animals. <laughs> and then that made me think it looked like a bit like a, a sort of exercise from an acting class or something where everyone was told, you have to be this animal. I try and move as much like them as you can. I'm sure they've done tons and tons of work. It looked like a lot of that sort of thing had gone into it. But I, it was difficult for me to kind of take myself out of that poking a bit of fun at it for that i bought natalie a book a while ago a couple of years ago maybe called being a beast where this guy tries to live like an animal like various animals so each chapter he's trying to embody different animals and trying to live like them you know go out in the woods and live in uh, the ways that they would and things like that it also made me think of that so while i was watching this i thought like i say there's interesting themes i'm a little bit skeptical about how some of it's presented but i think that natalie would probably like it and i may recommend it to her because i think she might find it interesting not for me but maybe for her cool we'll pin her down at some point and see if she does have any interest in it okay next up way different from wolf is uncharted the adaptation of the video game of the same name video game series that i really like i love the uncharted series i've played through them all of them several times actually because they're just so damn fun and nathan drake's a charismatic and engaging protagonist who kills a lot of people (laughs) which is not something that is necessarily aspirational but he does he's a video game character does he ever have to deal with it, the consequences? It gets brought up, but he kind of shrugs it <laughs> off. He doesn't really feel remorse for the legions of henchmen that he just guns yeah. down or grenades down or whatever I have him do, you know, basically when I'm controlling them. This looks fine, but it, there's a bit of a low-rent Indiana Jones or even National Treasure, to reference the Nicolas Cage series, like those movies, quality to it. Mark Wahlberg looks like he's putting in, and I would be generous to say, the minimum of effort. He's putting in no effort to play Sully, a character that he should not be cast as. In fact, this cast just baffles me. I like Tom Holland, but there's nothing Nathan Drake about him. He doesn't have the attitude. Okay, he's dressed like him. He looks like a kid playing as Nathan Drake for Halloween. That's what he looks like. It just puts me off. I just can't see Nathan Drake when I look at him. I know it's a prequel, but he's doing Nathan Drake stuff. It's not that this is how I became an adventurer. He's an adventurer already. He's off doing stuff. So... I don't get this. What is this cast? And I don't know if Tom Holland will be shown killing a lot of people. There's some nods to the video games, such as the plane sequence and things like that. But I'm not 
overly keen on this. I don't think they've got it right as an adaptation. I don't know. Have you played the Uncharted games? Do you enjoy them? Yeah, I've played the first three. Keep meaning to go to the fourth one. But, you know, as I've admitted, I only play things years after they're out. It's probably... It's not cheap enough yet. I've actually got it ready to go. <laughs> You've got it. <laughs> It's probably been long enough that I should have played this a couple of years ago, actually. I like the games. I probably wouldn't play through them multiple times. I am usually a bit of a completionist, but I think that the way those games work is that they're really strong on the story stuff. And I think if I've played it through for each of those stories once, then I don't need to see it again. And I'm not that bothered about going and finding everything. Oh, I never do Open that. world stuff is where I get caught up and end up finding every feather in Assassin's Creed and things like that. <laughs> And then you wonder, why did I do that? Yeah, I really do. But anyway, Uncharted. I kind of think this is going to be a bit like Solo, a Star Wars story. Because (laughs) at one point you see uh, Tom Holland kind of strapping on the gun holster, the shoulder holster. And before that, I thought, it doesn't look quite like Nathan Drake, what's going on here? And then you see him put this on, you're like, oh, there you go. That's how he got that. I feel like it's going to be one of these, the making of Nathan Drake type films. And this is how he got this. And this is how his relationship with Sully developed and all this kind of stuff. They meet for the first time in this film. Yeah, it seems so. Obviously that relationship is established already in the games, but I'm thinking this is a bit like that. Like, how did Chewie get his nickname? I wonder, sort of thing. (laughs) Why do you call him Sully? Because his surname yeah. Sullivan is that, that pretty kind of easy. Thing. I think I'm going to call you Chewie because Chewbacca is just too hard to pronounce. There's things I like about it. I love treasure hunting stuff. I like Indiana Jones. I like National Treasure. Whenever there's a mystery or a treasure map to be followed, I like that kind of stuff. I like Tom Holland. He doesn't really remind me of Nathan Drake, but I'm imagining what they're trying to do here is set up a series of movies where he becomes Nathan Drake and then you can kind of go on and be less of a young Nathan Drake and more of the one that we know. I like the potential for globe trotting and the action and stuff that you'd expect from games in a movie i obviously have reservations about most video games that are turned into movies or the movies that are a result of that process are always rubbish i'm concerned about mark Wahlberg being in it because Wahlberg, <laughs> because he's mark yeah. Wahlberg, yeah and one thing that hasn't completely sold me on uncharted is that whenever you get to a later stage supernatural elements kind of come in and i know that happens in indiana jones i I don't know it's just a really personal thing where you could say the sort of religious stuff or the ark of the covenant in indiana jones that's supernatural there's ghosts and things like that for some reason i can accept that i didn't like the aliens in crystal skull even though they have just about every right to be in it as a cult (laughs) in temple of doom or a hundreds of years old knight at the end of last crusade when i played uncharted and i got to the end then there started to be these creatures and monsters and all these kind of things i it just started to put me off a bit i just want the baddies to be people and i want the treasure to be treasure <laughs> for whenever you're watching something that's kind of set in one world or set in the real world and then it just introduces that a little bit towards the end it might be in this it might not i've got a feeling like it will i think they do this with quite a lot of movies now where i'm hoping for kind of a grounded thing i was just looking for some adventure but then there always has to be some sort of supernatural element i just don't want that and i think that there will be that so i have a concern about that i just don't want to see cgi monsters crawling up and down walls at the end <laughs> i don't want them to be shooting cgi monsters i'd rather he was shooting real people and then being concerned about it dealing with the mental fallout of what have i done that kind of thing <laughs> I want to see Tom Holland murdering anonymous henchmen. Yeah, as long as they're anonymous henchmen, (laughs) not anonymous wall crawlers. (laughs) Well, the thing about the Uncharted thing, it's not quite supernatural. It's just a discovery that was kind of lost to time or whatever. Like in the second one, you had the resin, which had qualities that enhanced strength and drove people mad and things like that. The third one, there was some hallucinogenic thing that they took, something like that, that made them think there was 
flaming skull head people but there wasn't yeah. stuff like that yeah i get what you're saying but it's completely irrational i can't even put my finger or even draw a line exactly between okay i can accept stuff coming out of the ark of the covenant but i can't accept wall crawlers coming out at the end of <laughs> i accept that it is completely irrational and i'm just sitting here saying i like what i like and i don't like what i don't like but there it is <laughs> will it be less believable than when mark Wahlberg tries to grow a mustache there's the question <laughs> We have to wait and see. Yeah. There's a scene in the trailer, and I've got a note about it, where Tom Holland, I can't even call him Nathan Drake, it's just Tom Holland, Peter Parker. He's working in a bar, and my first thought is, is he old enough to be in here? <laughs> I mean, I know he's like 25 or something like that, but he still does not look yeah. 25. Tom Holland is, seems to be stuck in this 15-year-old body. He will never leave it. He'd be one of those actors who'll be in his 50s, and he'll be like, this guy still looks like he's 18. <laughs> it's mental, what's going on here? I don't believe him as someone's dad because eventually you'll go on and play someone's dad and you'll be like Tom Holland nah it doesn't happen but that, that, that's a bizarre note it's interesting how long this has been stuck in development hell because they've been trying to adapt it for a long time so long that Mark Wahlberg was once going to be Nathan Drake and now he's sorry that's how long we've been at this oh uh, yes kind of following up on being Max Payne and who else has he's probably been in a couple of video game adaptations Max Payne I've forgotten about Max Payne that's an awful awful movie isn't it yeah no it's bad God, thanks for reminding me of that. And I've seen it. And I saw it in the cinema. That's even more disgusting. It really is. Shameful. So we'll see. I will go watch it because why not? I'm curious enough. And we'll get on to another video game adaptation very soon. But before we get there, let's talk about Red Notice. Netflix's most expensive movie ever, The Rock keeps telling us. Probably just because they hired him. The rest of it doesn't look that expensive. Ryan Reynolds probably commands a decent fee. I talked about this with Cap when the first trailer came out, so that was last month. We've already got another trailer. It's mental. This looks like it could be a Fast and Furious spin-off because the three leads have all been in Fast and Furious or a spin-off of it. So it looks like it could be that. And I think it more or less is that. And nobody's pushing themselves here, are they? The Rock is playing a government tough guy. Ryan Reynolds is playing... Ryan Reynolds. Ryan Reynolds. I can't remember what his character is. Gal Gadot's playing the Gal Gadot type character that she plays in so many things. It looks fine. The most expensive Netflix movie ever. It seems that they're throwing a lot of money at it. There's some daft action here. I like a heist thing. It looks like they're playing in a lot of the... This is like that bit from Ocean's Eleven in terms of style and whatever. So it doesn't look like anybody's putting an awful lot of effort in here. And that seems to come across. It's We've spent so much money on this, but that's all we've yeah, done. I would agree. I think that this all depends on the heist. If the heist's well done and well plotted and it's exciting, then yeah, that could be fun. I agree the cast is good, but yeah, I feel like The Rock is quite often playing The Rock. <laughs> Ryan Reynolds has recently been playing <laughs> Ryan Reynolds. So the characters here, if you could call them that, and the plot all look sort of paint by numbers if you just wanted to take elements of other films and kind of mash them together then that's what you've got and yeah it just yeah, looks very middle of the road for me yeah that's about sums it up got another heist movie to talk about next kind of ambulance jake gyllenhaal etc who rob a bank and escape in an ambulance and i can't tell if this is going to be almost entirely set in the ambulance which would mean michael bay's having a crack at the almost entirely within a claustrophobic location type Yep. genre that sprung up that i usually quite enjoy stuff like Locke and so on i love those films buried <laughs> to talk about ryan reynolds again yeah that was a film i really enjoyed phone as booth. well phone booth yeah i don't think this is that seems to be there's a lot in the bank and things like that and typical michael bay excess there's a lot of explosions there's a lot of low angle shots of people looking dramatic there's a lot of 
helicopters flying around. There's a lot of people with guns. There's a lot of Michael Bay-ish stuff. I quite like Michael Bay movies, generally speaking. It looks all right, I guess. I also had the similar thought about how much of this is in the ambulance. It's called Ambulance. It looks like a lot of action takes place around this ambulance chase. I was thinking there's a bit of speed in there, maybe, because they're hurtling around LA. Someone's dead in the back and needs to yeah, get someone. And, yeah, and making the most of the setting, the city, all the stuff you can blow up there. So my suspicion is that a lot of the stuff that's in the trailer, because it's kind of split half and half between the bank job and then the ambulance chase, my suspicion is that the bank stuff is going to be over and done with quite quickly and that we saw quite a lot of that in the trailer. I don't know whether or not that should be concerning, but as I say, it's called Ambulance, so I expect most of it to take place there. I like the idea of Jake Gyllenhaal as a baddie, as a bank robber. The action looks good. I suppose, yeah, you get what you get with Michael Bay. On the other side of that, you get what you get with Michael Bay, so (laughs) take it with a pinch of salt. Your mileage will depend on your reaction to (laughs) Michael Bay, generally. I like an action movie. I could see myself enjoying this. And at the end of the day... Isn't that what matters? Up next is a documentary, Clerk. It's about Kevin Smith. And it seems to be about how well he's done for himself and how his career has changed and how he came from Clerks and built himself into whatever and how his sensibilities have changed over the years. And I wouldn't normally talk about documentaries because we don't really cover them on Neil Before Blog or Pod that often, but something drew me to this. I like Kevin Smith. He's a friend of the site. Not really. We talked to him as part of a round table situation and then spoke to him afterwards where he was waiting for his wife to get ready. He just came out and spoke to me and a couple other people that were hanging around for whatever reason at the time. So really cool. Like Kevin Smith and I like his films by and large. I've listened to his podcasts sometimes. They're even longer than ours. <laughs> so don't always listen to them. But it seems like quite a heartwarming, sentimental and reflective look back at his own career and accomplishments in his own life and it's probably following his heart attack where he's been encouraged to do this yeah i like him as well i've listened to hundreds and hundreds of hours of smodcast and tell him steve dave so i wouldn't say i'm concerned but i assume that i would know a lot of what will be in this doc because he talks about it at length in the podcast i just really like the relationship he has with his friends from back home and with all the people that he's been involved with making movies over the years he's stuck with the usual crew so i've liked listening to their stories and just hearing them chit chat over the years i feel like he's kind of preoccupied with the success of his first film and maybe i would be as well if that is what brought me to the world's attention and I've, I've always wondered if he had a problem kind of moving on from that i think he's kind of gone on at length about how he's never really been able to recapture that and listening to him i always just wanted for the best for him just to be able to kind of move on and i think that he has done that he's reinvented himself a few times he's become a podcaster he's done live shows he's done lots of public speaking and stuff which is alluded to in, in the trailer so I am a big supporter of his, and I would like to watch this. As I say, I expect that I'll have heard a lot of it before, but if there's new stuff to learn or to pick up in there, then I would be interested in seeing it. And I do like a doc, so yeah, I'll be looking forward to seeing this. When he was in Edinburgh, actually, for the Edinburgh Film Festival, I attended almost every appearance that he made. And obviously, I was on the round table thing, and he always brings up clerks, every single one. He's always going back to that, but he talks about how he shoved it on a credit card, and it was a huge financial risk in that way, because... He threw everything of himself and every penny that he even didn't have into it because he wanted to make a film that was for him and by him and all that stuff. So yeah, great. You went and did it and it really worked out for you because he latched on to this fan base that existed mm-hmm. out there that just want to sit around and make in-depth references about Star Wars and things like that. And that's what Cleric says. It's people sitting around or standing around in a convenience store just speculating on the finer details of 
franchise media stuff. And yeah, great. We all do that. And it's become a thing. And arguably it rules the world now. And it's become pretty toxic in a lot of ways. He didn't originate that, but he brought it out of the shell that it was in, I suppose, or Mm -hmm. helped to. And that's great for him. And I'll be interested to see what this documentary has to say about him as a personality and whatever. But yeah, he's done a lot. And just... I meant to mention at the time you talked about Jay and Silent Bob on a set tour during Scream 3. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's so many in-jokes and references in this podcast. We're referencing yeah. things that are about to come up. We're talking about things without even realising. We're all over the place. But Jane Silent Bob appeared in an episode of The Flash as well. So <laughs> does that mean The Flash and Scream are set in the same universe? Yep, that's confirmed. There we go. We confirmed it. That's it. There's no one to dispute us. Mm-hmm. So there it is. Kevin Smith directed a bunch of episodes of The Flash and Supergirl as well. So he does them and great stuff. Great for him. So there we go. So that's Clerk documentary that I will try and give a watch whenever it appears. Up next, we have two different trailers for the Resident Evil movie reboot, Resident Evil Welcome to Raccoon City, which broadly speaking seems to be chronicling the first two mm. games in one story. My initial reaction to that is, how? How are you going to do that in one film? That concerns me. However, I'm more excited about this than I'm not excited about this. The characters are all there. They all look the part. The cast are really impressive. I like Robbie Amell. I like Caius Scodelario, if that's how you pronounce her name. Neil McDonough's in there. I love Neil McDonough. Listen to any appearance that Chris is on. He brings him up. We always bring him up. We want Neil McDonough and everything. And he's in this. I should shout him out from American Horror Story then, because he is in in this season, yeah. Oh, he's in that? My God. Oh, nice, nice work. Good old Neil McDonough. Keep driving on. He should have been Dr. Robotnik in Sonic, but Jim Carrey was good as well. He's in Sonic, but only in one scene, as a general or major or some army guy. Yes, so the cast are impressive. The creature design looks really impressive. The CGI looks impressive. It's interesting that we got these two trailers, the second of which I can't find on YouTube. I found a tweet from a YouTuber slash streamer that I watch who drew people's attention to it as the better trailer. You've got the action-driven trailer, which is the one that's in cinemas and on YouTube and so on. And you've got this mood-based trailer that is somewhere that you can find. I will link to the tweet that points it in the direction but i couldn't find it on youtube i did try i clicked on every resident evil first trailer video i could find and they were all the action driven ones so i find that interesting that they released two i don't know why they did that and i don't know why they buried the better one as well because the second one is way better it's more mood based it's more creepy it's more tense whereas the first one is we have to take down our umbrella and we can only do it with shotguns and there's lots of shotguns and gunfire and intense screaming at each other and all that stuff but i love resident evil it's one of my favorite video game franchises it's a formative thing for me. I've played Resident Evil so many times. I love the remakes. I love the video games. I even like the Paul W.S. Anderson movies as well as the ones that he didn't make. But those Mila Jovovich movies, I really like them, actually. I think they're pretty good. In fact, my Twitter handle is Nemesis4909, which on the We Made This Podcast Network turned in an in-joke where I have to point out that it's not a Star Trek reference. <laughs> it was originally a Resident Evil reference, but then Star Trek released a film called Nemesis. In fact, they were going to call the second Resident Evil film Resident Evil Nemesis, but they couldn't because it was out the same year as Star Trek and they didn't want to get them confused. As if you would. <laughs> you go and see Resident Evil, you're like, where's Picard? I don't understand what's going on here. This isn't Tom Hardy. This is Mila Jovovich jumping around and stuff. I really like the look of this movie. I have high hopes that it'll be great. I'm, I have wanted a live action adaptation of the actual games rather than, we'll just chuck this actor in and call them Chris Redfield and Wentworth Miller it was and one of them. He was Chris Redfield in that movie and 
he was not a good Chris Redfield, but I was like, oh, it's Chris Redfield. And I was like, oh, it's Chris Redfield. I like Wentworth Miller as well. The cast aren't obvious choices to play those characters, but seeing them in action, seeing them embody those roles in these trailers worked for me. It really did. And I really hope it turns out to be what I want it to be. But what did you think? Any connection to the games and all that I think we've probably discussed it several times on previous episodes. I am in no way as well versed as you are in these. I think I've seen all of the Paul W.S. Anderson movies. I enjoy them for what they are. I've played the games here and there. Don't know anywhere near as much about the lore as you do. I've watched the most recent Netflix animation. Quite enjoyed it. I hated that. I really hated that. I think it started out promising, but kind of ended up being a bit meh. I just liked it for what it was again. I have no idea how that links in or if it does at all. I think that this movie looks schlocky and fun. What I've come to expect from Resident Evil movies. I like Kaya Scodelario. I've seen her in Pirates of the Caribbean and Crawl. I've enjoyed watching her in that. So yeah, I could be into this. I compared the trailers. It was close trying to work out which I preferred, although the first one had a slowed down pop song in it, which I'd noticed in several of the other trailers as well. So I was like, mm. <laughs> And in every other trailer yeah. you ever watch at the moment. Yeah, it's playing much. too much into the formula, so I'm giving the edge to the second trailer. The horror-based yeah. trailer, I guess, the second yeah. one would be. To answer your question about the animation, I think it's set sometime after... Resident Evil 6, or maybe sometime before Resident Evil 6. It's in the game continuity, okay. though. It, it links in. It's part of that arc, whereas this is a full reboot. But yes, I'm looking forward to seeing this, and we'll see how it turns out. Big fan of Resident Evil, mm. so we'll see. Finally, got to see some footage from it. Exciting, perhaps. Okay, so you can go and meditate in the corner again, go into cryosleep, whatever it is you do, because I'm going to ruin Chrissy's day and beam him in so we can discuss Star Trek Discovery Season 4's trailer and some other stuff. I'm zenning out. Energising? Chris, I have once again beamed you in without notice because it's news time again and there's more Star Trek and maybe other stuff to discuss. So you're here now. Sorry for the impromptu beaming. I feel violated every time you do this to me. What did I say the last time? Don't just beam me out randomly. Give me advance notice. I would have put some clothes on. Yeah, I would have thanked you for that, to be honest. But we are where we are. It's fine. Sometimes there just isn't time to cross the I's and dot the T's. Indeed. I did mean it incorrectly (laughs) in that way because I'm just so maverick. Anyway, new stuff. Okay. Angus is in stasis at the moment. He's enjoying being in suspended animation, but... First of all, we should discuss the trailer for Star Trek Discovery Season 4, which is out pretty soon, less than a month as we record. What did you think of the trailer for Star Trek Discovery Season 4? It seems pretty well produced. I, I quite like the zippy music in the background, the kind of dubstepy. I, I don't know what you would call that in the background. It looks like an action-packed season, doesn't it? It looks very action-packed. There's lots of phaser fire. There's lots of cool little shots that they showed in there. I'm a little bit disappointed again. It seems that the whole universe, multiverse, and reality are at threat once again. But for a trailer, it does get me kind of excited about the new season. I'm in two minds about it, but I'm leaning towards kind of being sick of the constant end of the universe, end of all life as we know it stakes that Discovery has. I think that's maybe their setup. They're always going to do that to some degree. It's always about Burnham saves the universe, which is kind of boring now. 
And there seems to be this big anomaly that's stretching across the galaxy or something. And it does seem like it's going to be more than a one episode problem because there is chat about, we're going into the anomaly and this is us in the anomaly now. So I don't know if that's just the opening arc that will last like three episodes or something, but it does seem like it's going to be an ongoing problem. And will Burnham have started the anomaly somehow or someone in her (laughs) family have started the anomaly? Her mum came back. It's time for her dad to come back, I suppose. That's what will be this season. Her dad caused the anomaly, definitely. Probably. It looks great. I mean, the production values are, as always, excellent. It is a great-looking show, and they're throwing around a lot of terms of Starfleet stuff. I like the new uniforms that they're fully coloured in, as opposed to the coloured stripe that they had at the end of the last season. So I think it's a good choice to have the full department colours on the uniforms, so that's nice. I see. Now, I was going to say the opposite. I was going to say they look like they should be chauffeuring cars at hotels or maybe standing in elevators pushing the buttons for people. They look like busboy uniforms. (laughs) They really do. (laughs) When you look at them, they look so cheap. (laughs) They look really nasty. Like the kind of thing some rubbish Hilton would have their staff wearing at the front door kind of thing. I think it's the, with the collar, the sort of logo thing on the collar around about the V-neck. It just looks really, really cheap. I'm not too sure. I'm trying to remember what the futuristic uniforms were like in the last season. And maybe if I compare, I'll be like, actually, this is an improvement. I think they were basically these ones, but grey. I do like having more of the department colour on there, but at the same time, I think they look a bit plain. Maybe it'll grow on you. It might do. I never get too angry about Starfleet uniforms, because a lot of the time, especially in the newer shows, they seem to change every season anyway. (laughs) Once they go through the anomaly, they'll find another Starfleet with another uniform choice for them. I think there's other uniform variants, actually, in the trailer as well. Yeah. (laughs) Like away mission variants and stuff, so yeah, they'll be a varied selection of costuming that we can witness but we'll see i don't know i think it will be fine i'll still enjoy it i don't hate discovery it's just the broad strokes of we have to save the universe it's getting a bit tiresome four years in it's getting a bit tiresome we covered the full season and overall i really enjoy it it's just there's these little niggles these little bits that keep chewing away at me with discovery fair enough so do you have anything else to say on that trailer before we move on to some other miscellaneous DC stuff, really. Nope, let's fly. Let's fly. Yeah, that's a catchphrase, apparently. <laughs> it is now. <laughs> Whether they want it or not, we're getting it. <laughs> so now we're going to start our DC fandom coverage. I've segmented this off to the stuff that Angus won't care about or know anything about, since you're here, might as well make use of the fact that you, well, maybe still don't care, but you at least have a bit more knowledge than he does over these specific things. And if people don't know what fandom is, it's a big event. Is it a big event? It's an event that DC are running every year, this being the second one, where they just show us some trailers and stuff and essentially spend four hours just pottering about where they could probably spend one or two. But never mind. There we go. It was a fun event. I enjoyed it. Did you watch the whole thing or did you tune in and out? I pretty much watched the whole thing. I did intend to kind of drop out halfway, but I was enjoying a lot of the stuff that they were releasing and showing. So I sort of had it on in the background while I was doing some other bits and kept watching all the little cool trailers and bits. Yeah, I watched the whole thing and I did mostly enjoy it. There's a couple of bits where I tuned out. People come at me with pitchforks for this, but the comic book stuff I tended to tune out a bit because I don't really read comics at the moment. So it all kind of went over my head. And there was other bits and things. The guy with his really expensive hat business. I was actually (laughs) riveted by that because it's $700 US for a hat. 
So I have no interest in buying those. It's a hat with the Superman logo on the inside of it. So people can't even see that it's a Superman hat. It's on the inside. Only I know it's a Superman hat. What is that? That's for high-end geeks who don't want to reveal that they're geeks. It's like, on the inside, I know I'm wearing a Superman hat. On the outside, I just look like I'm wearing a really dope hat. (laughs) So are you buying the $700 hat? You're waiting for it to come? Hells no. I'd lose the $700 hat. You know what I would do. You know how many (laughs) scarves I go through every winter because I accidentally leave them behind in bars and cinemas. That hat would end up getting lost somewhere or would instantly blow off my head in the first gale of the Scottish winter. It'd be gone. I'd be walking up the bridges in Edinburgh above Waverley Station. There'd be a gust of wind and whoosh, away, £700 would fly and I'd never get it back. $700, $700, so it's like $700, sorry. something like that. Yeah. Oh no, I'll end up with a UK markup as well, so yeah, let's, <laughs> let's let's go for £800 worth of $700 hat. <laughs> or it gets stuck at customs and you get that little slip saying, you owe us money to get this out of customs. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't even get the hat, you're right. It probably wouldn't even make yeah, it. Get impounded. <laughs> ah, curse my lack of money and lack of taste in hats. This package was suspicious, we blew it up. <laughs> But no, $700 worth of hat destroyed. (laughs) Fabric with the Superman logo just flying everywhere. Great image, though. Being a Superman hat, it might be indestructible. Nah, it's just a regular hat with Superman on it, unfortunately. Enough about hats. So let's go for the biggest reveal of the evening. The Flash, as in the TV show, we'll talk about the film later, is getting another costume change. He gets about one a season. I think last season he didn't have a new costume. It just had a cowl where he presses a button and it comes on rather than having to do it himself which you know whatever functional upgrade but he's getting boots now golden boots finally after waiting seven whole years in his eighth season finally getting golden boots that was the biggest reveal of the night what did you think <laughs> of him getting boots on his costume on a show that you currently don't watch is it wrong to say that i was more excited about the superman hat <laughs> <laughs> I have not watched Flash for the last season or so. I kind of dropped it and then I didn't miss it. So I've, I've not really went back. This tease that they did, the only tease for the Flash was the boots. So I've got to say they didn't do very well in drawing me back in as a viewer. Grant Gustin seems excited about his yellow boots. I'm happy for him. I'm glad that he's finally got what he always wanted and he now has yellow boots. <laughs> they look like yellow boots. They have little wing epaulet things on them that make them look kind of cool, but it doesn't really excite me that much, I've got I've got to be honest. <laughs> Grant Gustin doing his little bit, he seemed very unenthusiastic about being present for this little thing he had to record. He just couldn't be arsed. <laughs> it was quite funny how passive he was. Yeah, he did have a sort of look of a hostage video about it where <laughs> he was waiting for the release of his loved ones and was being made by the press department to record this. Yeah, and it's that, well, the showrunner kept asking me what I wanted the most, and I I said, boots. Could you not have asked for better writing, Grant? Or is that just an impossibility? Have you just written it off as being impossible? So just give me boots. We can do that. We can accomplish that. The writing, it's gone. I made peace with that years ago. Let's just... Give me the boots. Yeah, it's, I, I wrote a, a big list to the production team and at the very bottom was, give them yellow boots. And they said, well, we can do one of the things on your list. <laughs> <laughs> Writing? Nah, it's gone. We're stuck in our rut now. Screw it. Okay, so we've said quite a lot about boots, to be honest. I'm sure they'll look fine on the costume in the eighth season. It's another step closer to a 
more and more comic accurate Flash costume. But I do wonder about the costuming department keep thinking when they get told to change it every season. It's like, what was wrong with last year's costume? Why are we doing another one? Do they sell that many toys and models of it? Is that the reason? Is it just so that people that bought a Flash action figure five years ago have to buy a new one because, oh, you don't have the boots on this one and you don't have the logo the right way on that one and you don't have... Is it just that? I don't know. I can't see a reason for changing it. Sometimes they look better, sometimes they look worse. I don't really get it. They haven't really merchandised the Arrowverse too heavily. I remember in the early seasons you could buy a Flash and Green Arrow and Supergirl action figure, but they discontinued them and they haven't updated them with newer costumes and things. I think Funko Pops is about all you get from Arrowverse stuff. As you know, we're still waiting on our Bebo. Yeah, that's what I was about to say. The really is. We're still waiting. He's yeah. a big blue thing. Big blue Furby thing, and we still want him, but we're not getting it, apparently. At least no time soon. But, yeah, I don't understand the constant changing of costumes on The Flash. It just, I guess it's the illusion of freshening up the show when they're not actually... I don't know. Yeah. I did like Candace Patton's little interludes where she was doing breaking news, even though it's not breaking news, it's just stuff that we're announcing in this format is more reporting than iris has done in seven whole seasons of the flash <laughs> i thought they were nice little ways to break apart segments and, and to put little briefings and things that weren't worth a full-blown package but good enough to give people a little tease of okay let's move on there was a more involved featurette that did the rounds and it was in connection with supergirl where the final episode is airing in a couple of weeks as of we record. So they got the whole cast together, let them sit around and reminisce about their time on the show. Cast past and present, should I say. There are some people there that aren't in the show anymore. Although I think they will be in the finale, but that's another story. But I thought this was a really nice little feature. They're a really good cast by the looks of things. They seem to all get along. They seem to all have a great time together. And it feels like they will really miss this work, this job that they've got. Yeah, I've got to agree. It was a little heartwarming thing that you went, oh, look how well this cast get along. It seemed really genuine. I mean, don't get me wrong. They're all actors. They might hate each other. However, in that piece, it seemed to be really genuine that they really got on well. The little stories that were telling on set and the, is it Cape Magic that they were showing off? I think it was. Cape Tricks, yeah. Cape Tricks, yeah. where they, would, they told their cape in front of the camera and then people would disappear or silly stuff would appear behind the capes. I loved all that. I thought that was really <laughs> good fun. It's, it's them messing about on long days on set so totally get that and uh, it was good for some of the, the little memories and the episodes that they had actually enjoyed i thought there was some little surprising takes in there yeah well melissa benoit's favorite episode is a really confusing one because it's not a good episode at all <laughs> she seemed to be more fixated on her memory of making the episode than the episode itself because it was kevin smith's first directing one as a supergirl episode i mean it wasn't terrible but it was just a fairly standard outings where she didn't have an awful lot of challenging work to do on it either in terms of performing so I don't really understand why that would be her favorite and she didn't really say why it was her favorite either it seemed to be like her favorite memory of filming rather than her favorite episode that's what I kind of took from it is that she really enjoyed working with Kevin Smith and they had some sort of bacon truck that was there on set (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, there was a lot of bacon talk. There was no bacon in the episode, though. I'm almost certain. I don't think there was bacon in the episode. I'm just guessing it's something that Kevin Smith must take with him. It must be one of his directorial things. The Flash gets yellow boots, Kevin gets a bacon truck. Yeah, although he's vegan now, Kevin Smith, I think. After his heart attack, he became yeah. vegan. Yeah. So he just has a bacon truck following him around to taunt him. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> he's like, leave me alone. 
I used to be fat and liked bacon. Now I'm neither of those things. Please go away. He's been haunted by a bacon truck. That's it, yeah. He'll make a film about it, maybe. But yeah, a really charming little feature. I'm really going to miss Supergirl as a show. As I've always talked about, I think the plotting is often lacking on Supergirl, but the character stuff is always on point. And the way the cast bounce off each other, it's pretty evident that that's, or it seems evident that that's real, that they really have that rapport on set as well. So that will contribute to it. Yeah, definitely. I agree with you. A lot of the character stuff that they do is really, really good. I don't know. It's one of those ones where it's had its off moments, but normally I do end up enjoying it. Yeah. So that's that. We'll be saying goodbye to it and stay tuned for a podcast about the final season of Supergirl soonish, sometime after it finishes. And I'm sure it'll be an emotional discussion. Another charming little feature that they did was behind the scenes on Superman and Lois. They're on the set of season two. So they were showing us around the Kent house which is not connected to the farm that they do externally. They told us a bit of inside baseball, as the Americans would call it, just peeling back the curtain, letting us see the inside. And most of the kitchen doesn't work. The fridge has nothing in it. It's not a real fridge. It's just a panel. And there's a couple of drawers that, for example, Elizabeth Tullock uses to hide food. And Tyler Hecklin has his own drawer that he hides food. And Alex Garfin, who plays Jordan Kent, apparently likes moving stuff and the set designers don't like that because it messes with continuity of shooting. He also plays piano on set in between takes. <laughs> I quite like that as well. <laughs> yeah, that was a fun little feature. It was very short, but it was good fun. It was almost like DC's Cribs, wasn't it? Let's show you around our house. Here's all the stuff we have. It was a bit like that. Again, it was another like nice just to see the cast getting along kind of thing. I love the idea now that every time I'm looking at those kitchen scenes, I'm going to be thinking, well, there's nothing in the fridge, nothing in the freezer, and they're all hiding their phones and their sides and the drawers in the kitchen. <laughs> <laughs> just try not to think about it. So there'll be a scene where they open the fridge and there'll be food in it, and you'll be like, how did they do that? It's good CGI magic. They just cut to a fridge that's somewhere else that has food in it. <laughs> stock footage of a fridge final item well before we go back to angus where you can comment on other fandom stuff if you want to feel really old and i thought i'd close on making us both feel really old smallville is 20 years old this year and that's pretty horrifying to contemplate because i remember starting to watch it 20 years ago i feel so old so so old <laughs> although i think we didn't really get it until 2002 I'm pretty sure, well, I don't know about satellite channels, but I remember it didn't start on Channel 4 until way later. Yeah, I think you're right. that's when I started watching it. I don't exactly know when, but I remember it starting way later on Channel 4. And then I just watched it from there. But yeah, I love Smallville. I have a great connection to Smallville. And on this panel that they did, they interviewed Tom Welling, a.k.a. Clark, and Michael Rosenbaum, a.k.a. Lex. And they talked about how it really kicked off their careers and their memories of it. And Michael Rosenbaum's always great value. Listen to his podcast if you haven't, because he's great. I know you listen to the podcast. I mean, the listeners listen to his podcast if you haven't, because he's great value. He's very funny. He's very open. And I think he came across really well in that segment, even though the interviewer, which sounds horrible to say, wasn't the best. I think they helped her along a lot more than she prompted them yeah they were very sort of stock questions that they were given but they gave really good in-depth answers i think the version that was on the live was a little bit shorter but then there's an extended cut on their youtube page it was a really good chat actually and full of little nostalgia things from them and i guess it's at that point in their life where they can look back at it fondly 
as well because i imagine like the immediate thing is you get off a show that's been running for that long you're like right now i move on to the next thing in my life and i don't want to talk about it but now they're at the point where they're quite happy to go back from a, a nostalgia point of view. Yeah, and there's still the rumours about an animated mm. continuation cropping up. Michael Rosenbaum talked about that recently. Whether that'll come to anything or not, I don't know. But I would love it just with at least some of the voice cast just continuing it on, letting us see this version of Superman doing stuff. Because that's what it would be, it'd be a Superman cartoon. Or, like I theorised before, they would just go back and it'd be set during like season one or something. <laughs> we still never get to see this version of Clark Kent as Superman. That's the whole thing. You just can never see it. Because when he showed up in Crisis, he'd given up being Superman. So he didn't have to wear a costume or anything. So that was funny. Yeah, that's true. I wonder if they would do that. It'd be interesting to see. I kind of thought it's like, oh, they've got Smallville on the thing. Oh, this could be like a little surprise announcement. Oh, it's been rumoured it. It's been hinted at. We can reveal that we're going to do. And I was like, oh, they've not done that. It's just a celebration of the anniversary kind of thing. Yeah. It was funny when Rosenbaum came out with, remember the accepted story that I left? I didn't leave. My contract was for six years and I left after seven. So I didn't leave the show. He let his contract lapse. It's the, I want people to be aware of that. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I miss Smallville. And it's true what Rosenbaum said. You wouldn't have the Arrowverse or anything like that without Smallville kicking it off. Oh yeah, it definitely kicked off a lot of that genre, a lot of the young adult stuff that we've got now, and definitely the Arrowverse and a lot of the superhero TV that we get now. It it did kick off a whole realm of that. Yeah, and it was interesting when they were talking about the visual effects, how they'd gotten to that point where it was possible to show Superman's powers in that way, even though it was on a TV budget. And I do think the visuals in Smallville, particularly early on, were very striking in the way that they managed to make these powers work. Very true, because it was just at that edge where more computer-generated stuff was able to be done. And a a lot of it still holds up. Even if you go and you you watch back, a lot of the effects still hold up. Yeah, hold up a lot better than some of the stuff they're doing on Arrowverse stuff, certainly. Mm. In some cases. It's one of those shows, I think, they got less money as it went on. So when they were in season 7, 8, 9 and 10... They were on location less, and I think they just had less money in the pot for visuals and things. It happens a lot to genre shows. They become popular, so more people are watching them, so we'll spend less money on them so we can get more money back. That's the way it tends to work. Yeah, and there's the assumption that because you've already got sets, you've already got a lot of standing sets and bits and pieces, we don't need to invest as much anymore. Yeah, so that is all I needed from you for fandom, because Angus will have a vague idea of everything else because it's just trailers and stuff so i can bring him out of stasis and beam you back to where i got you from thanks craig and say hi to angus for me i will and just be prepared for next month when this will probably happen again yeah if you can give me an exact time and date that would be great so that i can at least put on some clothes no that's not how it works you just have to always be in fear sleep with one eye open all that stuff will do Anyway, thank you for humouring me and talking about these few things. You're welcome. Energising. All right, we're back. Thanks, Chris, for that. Angus Chris says, say hi to Angus for me. So I'm saying hi to Angus for him. Thanks, Chris. Hi back. Cool. What a great exchange. (laughs) I love being the passer of information. We did a bit of a tease of the fandom content, the stuff that you would have no opinion on, such as 20 Years of Smallville, the Supergirl farewell mm-hmm, panel, mm-hmm. and some other stuff. So managed to pull in someone that has an opinion, <laughs> which is always good. 
<laughs> rather than you just reacting to my opinion. Yes, tell them hi back. <laughs> <laughs> tell them hi back, yeah. But we'll move on to some stuff that you will have an opinion on. I have decreed it. You must have an opinion on I, these yes, things. Yes, I can certainly try. <laughs> First up, we got a short look at Black Adam, the Shazam spinoff? I don't know. Connected to Shazam anyways. He's the opposite of Shazam. He's the Shazam villain that's him, but evil, kind of. The Rock is playing Black Adam. He's really excited about it. He's wanted to do it for years. Hopefully he's not just playing The Rock, but as Black Adam. And it showed us a short clip of him first emerging and killing someone and looking pretty sinister under his hood and things. I think those look great. It's very short, but looks great. I'm really excited for what this film might be. And The Rock is excited, which should be enough to power a small city, so... (sighs) That gives you an idea of what we can expect, maybe. Yeah, like to. Yeah, I'm not familiar with Black Adam, so my first note is, what is Black Adam? Then I just told you, evil Shazam. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just telling you the thought process I went through. <laughs> the trailer doesn't tell me a whole lot. He sort of dusts some people. He's powerful. Yeah. He's bad, presumably. I was wondering if DTR Johnson has played a baddie since the Scorpion King. That was one of these things that made me a little intrigued because normally, as we've discussed already in this podcast, he plays the same person. Is he a bad guy in the Scorpion King? Though? I don't well, think he is. I suppose maybe not the Scorpion King, but his first appearance as the Scorpion King. So oh, not yes. in the Scorpion yes. King. Okay. He was a baddie in The Mummy, wasn't he? Yes, yes. he was. Yeah, He was a bad CGI oh, yeah. creation. <laughs> his face moved in many unnatural ways. His first movie, though, The Mummy Returns, he'd never even seen a movie before he was in that movie. That's how early oh, it was. Mm-hmm. I can't remember him being a baddie since then, but is the depiction of it in this, are you hyped for this based on this trailer? Well, I'm hyped for it anyway, because I love the DC characters. And yeah, you don't see an awful lot. It's just a very moody and I don't want to say Snyder-ish. It's not really Snyder-ish. It's just this guy means business is what that tells you. And it looks great. It's shot so well and all that stuff. It's very well put together. And as a tease, yeah, it got me. I'm really interested to see what the actual film will be. Are they going to try and turn him into an anti-hero? Will they keep him as a villain? I don't know, because have we really seen a film that's actually properly about a villain or do they just try and make them relatable in some way? Because even Suicide Squad, which we'll talk about, Mm -hmm. not next, but almost next, they try and heroize the villainous characters that you're following in that movie. Venom, anti-hero instead of a villain, etc. So I can't really think of many, if any, examples of films about villains that actually make them villains no you're right something like scarface maybe i don't know even then slightly different i suppose because when you've got it set up in a comic book universe it's very kind of black or white you're one side or the other usually but yeah when you've got a scarface you kind of follow him he's coming up and then he just becomes a bad guy breaking bad similar sort of thing you follow him and, and see the fall i agree i think the comic book movies it's a bit harder to follow them from that point of view does maleficent count no no Definitely not. No, she's not a villain. Cruella doesn't count either. She's not really a villain Mm. in that. So, yeah, we're still waiting on the actual proper first villain movie. And I don't think this will be it, by the way. I think there will be an anti-hero aspect about it or there'll be a he was misjudged or mistreated or Mm. something. The people he's fighting will be worse than him, (laughs) probably. so it's fine. He can kill as many people as Nathan Drake. Was he a villain in Fast and Furious? Could you count him as a villain in Fast and Furious? He was the antagonist, I suppose, but the people he was antagonising were criminals, so... (laughs) And he joins up with them at the end, doesn't he? (laughs) Doesn't count. The Rock is a bad guy? Don't know. Maybe. Maybe not. We'd have to go through his filmography and find out, which I'm not going to do right now. (laughs) You don't want to start the Rock cast right now? (laughs) No, I do not. 
but yes, I'm excited about this based on the first look. Fandom was an exciting event in general for stuff like that. Next up is an even smaller look. It's more behind the scenes stuff. Aquaman and the Lost Kingdom, the sequel. Jason Momoa apologizes for making us wait four years. And as well, you should, Jason Momoa. Shame on you. Shame on you. Personally responsible. He's accountable. Mm -hmm. You've got to respect that. They've promised it's going bigger than the last one, if such a thing is possible, because I can't imagine anything being much bigger than what they did in that film. I loved the first Aquaman movie, as did a lot of people. It's still DC's highest grossing movie, actually, of this current slate, the loosely connected DC expanded universe that isn't really connected anymore. But they say they're going bigger this time. Jason Momoa loves it. James Wan seems pretty excited. Looks like they're attempting some pretty major stuff. Amber Heard's there. Let's maybe not talk about that too much because it's an iffy topic. But yes, I am excited for Aquaman 2. The behind the scenes stuff whetted my appetite. Didn't whetted my appetite. See what I did there? But it whetted my appetite for more. Just going to let that one linger for a wee bit. (laughs) (laughs) I haven't seen Aquaman and you're kind of making me want to see it because if it is so enjoyable, then maybe there is something in there for me. I haven't really followed a lot of the DC cinematic universe since Batman v Superman, maybe. So you haven't seen the Snyder Cut? Snyder Cut. Oh my God. I find it hard enough to carve out time for things I want to do, let alone things that... I don't want to do. <laughs> the people that were interviewed in this behind-the-scenes featurette seemed excited about what they were doing. That was good. I don't imagine that they put out a hype video for a movie and not present it like that. Whenever they're kind of interviewing and, and, and telling me about this is going to be bigger and better, we're going to do stuff you've never seen before, I was just thinking, I probably will have seen this stuff before in, a, in some superhero <laughs> movie or other. I can't say that it pulled me in. It didn't reel me in all that much. Oh, there we go. <laughs> More fish puns. There we go. But I mean, they seem to be doing a pretty good job of selling it. They're saying all the right things. I just think that a lot of the visuals and a lot of the fights and stuff, I would have to be presented with something that was going to blow my tiny mind to make me think, oh, this is just Mm. beyond anything I've ever seen. But Patrick Wilson got totally yoked for this Mm. one. So there we go. That's something to look forward to. If you're into Patrick Wilson with abs, then (laughs) this is a film for you, apparently. It has everything. It caters to all tastes. Can't say fairer than that. We cannot. Still on Aquaman, there was a tease, an extended clip for the Aquaman animated series, which is leaning into comedy, but not in the we make fun of Aquaman way that you would associate comedy around Aquaman about how much he sucks. This is more around a comedic take just for young kids. And yeah, I think young kids will really enjoy it. I did laugh a couple of times during this clip that they released during Fandom. So I'll maybe watch it. It could be one of those things I stick on for 20 minutes while I'm doing other things. Quite liked it. Yeah, I thought if you want the Adventure Zone crossed with Aquaman, then you've come to the right place. I agree. Some of the jokes were amusing. If I had kids, I'd let them watch it. But not Home Alone. Oh, no. Or maybe Home Alone. They're watching the original Home Alone <laughs> and Home Alone 2 Lost in New York. Not Home but, Sweet uh, Home Alone. Beyond that, no. It's <laughs> off limits. You'll buy the DVDs and scratch them just to prove a point. Just snap them in front of them. This is what happens. This is how much you shouldn't like, watch this. Why do you think we care about physical media, old man? <laughs> <laughs> well fine i've put a password on netflix so you can't get into the kids section <laughs> we talked about suicide squad peacemaker is getting a tv series james gunn has directed most of it allegedly which is great and peacemaker in the suicide squad was one of the best things about it i generally think that john cena is one of the best things about anything he's in we did a podcast on bumblebee he was very funny in that he's good when he's funny when you make John Cena funny, I'm on board. Fast and Furious, his appearance in that, he was not 
funny at all. And that really lets him down because he's very sharp in the old comedy, is John Cena. So Peacemaker's a great fit for him. This show that's coming out looks like a total blast. There's a bit in it where he's hugging an eagle that says a lot about what to expect from this. I like it. I like it a lot. It looks cute. I get shades of Deadpool and the boys from this. I'm in a position where I have Deadpool and the boys in my life already. If I was looking to buy some more Deadpool and the boys, I'd probably shell out for Peacemaker. I do like John Cena. I agree with what you said there. He's very engaging and I liked him in The Suicide Squad. But I don't have time in my life for the Snyder Cut and I probably don't have time in my life for the Peacemaker TV show. <laughs> well, you can hear me urging you to watch it in January when I'm watching it in January and possibly looking for someone to podcast about it with. <laughs> but yeah, I'll be watching this. Definitely be watching this. I think it looks like a lot of fun. And John Cena's always good value. I was going to say in stuff like this, but mm. just in anything. As long as he's funny, that is the caveat. He has to be funny. Otherwise, there's no point. We talked about The Rock earlier. It's not the only DC thing he's doing. He is voicing Crypto the Super Dog in DC's League of Super Pets, where we got a trailer that promises we'll get an actual trailer during November at some point, which is hilarious. But it's The Rock and Kevin Hart together again. Kevin Hart voicing Ace the Bat Hound. We still don't know who Keanu Reeves is voicing, but we'll find out maybe when this trailer appears in November. Talk about the full trailer in next month's roundup, probably. This small look has lots of peeing yes. in it. Possibly more peeing than I would like to be in anything, to be honest. But I'm sure it'll be fine. I think it's a fun idea. It's one of those... We're, we're going to start off with a joke here. What if The Rock voiced Crypto the Superdog? And then, oh God, it's actually happening. Can life be less ridiculous than fiction? Or more ridiculous than fiction anymore? I don't think so. Yeah, this teaser is mainly p which i think makes it a peaser <laughs> oh yeah if you could just cut and paste my thoughts on league of super pets from me <laughs> i think when we last <laughs> talked about it you could probably just keep that i don't think they've changed much i don't know i'm at a similar sort of question about if i was the right age for this if i was 10 now would i like kevin hart probably in the same way that i adored jim carrey all those years ago i'm not 10 unfortunately <laughs> Fair enough. Someone will talk about the full trailer next month when it drops. Because that's what that teaser promises. We'll give you something Please, next teaser. month. Yeah. Speaking of teasers, we got one for the Flash movie. I'm surprised that they actually got to the point where there was something to show, but it was actually hilarious. During fandom, Ezra Miller showed up. He was wearing a collar. I don't know why. It seems to be something that he does. And he said, we don't have anything to show you today. And then they showed a teaser immediately after. So that was a weird one. But anyway... This teaser, I like the look of it. I like the new Flash costume. It looks better than the Snyder cut and the Justice League movie. The costume he wears now looks better than that. Very sleek and streamlined and all that stuff. It seems to be more of a Batman trailer than a Flash trailer. The Michael Keaton does the voiceover. You've got that reverential shot of the back of Michael Keaton's Batman's head. You've got the tarp being pulled off what you presume is the Batmobile, but could just be some carefully arranged boxes. <laughs> We don't know. <laughs> what is under here? Oh, a load of boxes. Well, that's disappointing. <laughs> I'm quite excited about this. It cannot be worse than the TV show's attempt at Flashpoint. It just cannot be worse than that because that was so bad. Get the first look at Supergirl here. She's standing in the background. Really cool. There's yeah, some cool stuff here. It's a bit odd that they're doing Flashpoint as the first Flash movie, but I think it'll be interesting. Michael Keaton back in the role of Batman. 
got to be worth seeing just for that at least yeah i understand that there's quite a bit of hype around what appears here in terms of keaton batman batmobile i just have no connection whatsoever with the flash so it's difficult for me <laughs> because i think maybe if the keaton stuff appeared in something that i was aware of or looking forward to or had any kind of connection with then i could see myself being a bit more interested but i'll have to wait and see what the reaction's like because as i say very little interest really in the flash unfortunately from me you're not interested in a guy that solves his problems by running really fast trying to think if there is anyone like that billy whiz from the dandy maybe or was he in the beano (laughs) quicksilver quicksilver yeah i don't know i still think i've got billy whiz number one There are other fast characters. Sonic? Yeah, he's pushing Billy, but nope, nope, still Billy at the top. <laughs> okay, Billy Wiz from Beano or Dandy. <laughs> he's your top, but you don't know where he's from. Well, it's been a long time. I've had a lot more exposure to Sonic and the rest since then. <laughs> cool. I'm excited about the Flash movie based on what I've seen here. Michael Keaton in the role again. Cool. There's going to be at least two Batmen in this movie. Mm. Seems like a lot, to be honest. Michael's got a lot of... Batman or Batsmen or Batmans. Some might say too many. <laughs> Some might say. And I might be one of those people. <laughs> Not too long from now. We'll talk about it. Next up, we have an animated movie, Catwoman Hunted, which is another heist thing. Looks like a fun heist thing. I like the DC animated movies by and large. See my brief teardown of Injustice earlier in the podcast for how much I like the DC animated movies. No, but broadly, I do like them. I think they do a good job with them. You've seen a few of them, following enough mm-hmm. Batman ones. Mm-hmm. But this... Catwoman story, she's stealing stuff, teams up with Batwoman, etc. Good voice cast. Looks like a lot of fun. Yeah, so she's typically a villain and she's been drafted in to work on the side of the goodies in this one. She goes back and forth, doesn't she, in the comics and in the cartoons and stuff. I think a lot of the time she's just self-interested, but sometimes she's stealing stuff and Batman doesn't want her to steal stuff, so goes after her, I guess. What I was trying to do there was seamlessly set up a segue into the next topic. Oh, right, okay. So she's kind of a villain who's drafted in to help the goodies in this. Does that remind you of anything else? It perhaps reminds me of this video game that's coming out called Suicide Squad, colon, Kill the Justice League. We had two trailers for this. The first one was revealed last year at Fandome as well. Still no gameplay, so we have a lot of CGI cutscene stuff, but we have no idea what the game is going to be. Who do you control? How do you control them? What are the mechanics? No idea. But we've seen some cutscene stuff, which is the Suicide Squad drafty didn't fight the Justice League who have been possessed by Brainiac or something. And it's another evil <sighs> Superman. What was your possession on evil Superman again? <laughs> Hate it. Hate it. No more evil Superman. Give it a rest. I don't know. It it looks good. These cutscenes that they're showing me look good. But it could just be an animated movie yeah, at this point. I thought that watching this trailer, without gameplay and without really knowing how it's going to operate mechanically, it's difficult to say. I was trying to come up with my own version of what would make it good. If it was like a kind of squad-based thing where you could each control a different member of the team. I mean, like the awful Avengers game. I don't know. I never played that. Something that's a bit more not imbalanced. What's the word I'm looking for? It's kind of asymmetric where you're not all just playing clones of each other. But I don't know. I don't know if that's the kind of game that they're going to make right now. A sort of four player that's asymmetric because it doesn't seem logical to me. But that's what I was coming up with in my head when I was watching this. That's what I thought might be cool. But I'm fully anticipating being proved wrong on that. Yeah, I just want to see some gameplay because it's hard to get excited about a video game until you see how it's actually going to play. Yeah. Unless it's a sequel to a video game that you've already played, so you have some idea of what they're going to try and pull off. Such as when I gushed about the Spider-Man trailer last month for or Spider-Man 2 on the PS5, because I know what the PS4 game's like and I trust them to make something that will be great. So 
Here, I don't know. It tends to be when you get multiple characters in a game that have different skill sets that maybe they skimp on it a bit and try and oversimplify yeah. it and each of the characters aren't that great. I don't know. Which brings us neatly to the next one, which is a trailer for Gotham Knights, which is the game that looks like it should be a sequel to the Arkham series and isn't. Apparently the Suicide Squad game is in the Arkham universe and the Gotham Knights one isn't, despite the fact that it looks like it should be. Because it's in this post-Batman world where all these, not sidekicks, his family, his Bat family, are bringing down the Court of Owls. Again, there's no gameplay here, although there is gameplay from last year's Fandom trailer, which I'll put in the show notes that you can watch. So it gives you an idea of what Nightwing and Robin and Batgirl's specialities are when you control them in the field. This trailer is more story-based, and it looks like it'll be an interesting story. These three try to bring down the Court of Owls. Pretty sure that Batman will be revealed to be alive after being believed dead for the whole game by the end of it, so that's what I'm guessing. But yeah, based on knowing what the gameplay's like and this cutscene trailer, I'm pretty amped for it. I'm just concerned about the three characters. Are they going to be fully fleshed out as gameplay mechanics through for those mm-hmm. few characters yeah similar sort of thing for me as to the last one where i was intrigued by what i saw but again yeah without much gameplay i don't really know what kind of game this is or mm. what really to expect i started just kind of coming up with my own scenarios again like the last one where i was thinking okay if this is like a sort of squad based thing where we have people with different abilities and you can choose who to control then i was like wait these are two games back to back that I have no idea how they're going to play. What if they were some kind of Pokemon red and blue versions of each other where in one, you've got a collection of heroes and in the other, you've got a collection of villains and you have to kind of battle it out. I really don't expect it to be like that, but I had to come up with some theories and the fact that they're completely different games probably shoots that down, puts that to bed. (laughs) And the fact that I've referenced Pokemon red and blue rather than one of the many, many more iterations that there have been since then. No, no, red and blue. Okay. I'll stop there. Yellow was the last Pokemon game, <laughs> as far as I'm Good, concerned. I'm glad you're with me on that. Gold and Silver was about to come out, but I didn't play those, <laughs> so therefore doesn't count. They don't exist. Showing my age. So yeah, we'll see some gameplay footage, and then maybe we'll get more excited. You should look at the gameplay footage that they released last year for Gotham Knights. You might be more excited if you watch that. I probably should have linked you to it before this, but whatever, I'm bad at my job, so there we go. <laughs> They're paying you far too much for it. That's it. Too busy doing too many things. Okay, we're back to live-action adaptations. We have Batgirl. They haven't even started, really. They've cast Batgirl and very little else. So it was more of a feature about how excited Leslie Grace is to be playing Batgirl. And she is good casting, as far as I'm concerned. There's probably been some pushback because she doesn't have, quote-unquote, red hair. Read into that how you will. But yes, she seems to be very excited about it. There is rumours that... J.K. Simmons is in talks to return as Jim Gordon for this series, which we put it in the Snyderverse. So there we go. Or an offshoot of it. Or just Jim Gordon is being played by J.K. Simmons and has no connection, which is most likely. But yes, seems cool. And Brendan Fraser, yesterday at time of recording, was announced as playing the villain, probably Firefly. Brendan Fraser is a villain. Mental. I can't imagine such a thing. He's the nicest He's played guy. fewer villains than DTR Johnson. He really has. He really has. But yes, he is going to be in it, which will be his second possibly concurrent DC role, depending if Doom Patrol gets wrapped up or not. But he's in Doom Patrol as well. So there we go. That is cool. Brief featurette. They showed some concept art. She's going to have a cowl instead of just a mask. So she's not Alicia Silverstoning it. She's going to have the proper setup, I suppose. I'm glad they're making this and I'm keen for it. Yeah, so I mean team seemed to be pretty excited about it from the featurette (laughs) the main takeaways for me were they've confirmed cowl 
And she will have red hair. Those are my main observations. She will have red hair, despite the fact that she currently does not have red hair <laughs> or white skin. But um, it's besides the point, isn't it? <laughs> Anyone could have red hair, couldn't they? Whether they have white yeah. skin or not. Come on, internet. Just embrace. Just embrace. It's going to be good. Don't worry about it. Right, let's talk about Naomi, which is a CW TV show that's about a powered multiverse hopping type person. This shows you almost nothing. She's running off to see Superman. And she kind of sees Superman, but not quite. There's an open question about whether other heroes will appear in this or whether they'll constantly just be referenced and never actually shown. There was a featurette, which I don't think I linked you to, but she did a brief bit of chat about when she started this show, she was 17 and she's playing a 17-year-old girl. So it's aping her development in a lot of ways. And she's quite excited to bring this journey to sounds so corporate marketing, bull crappy when I say it that way. But she's excited to bring that aspect of growing up to people and show people and and relate to it in her own way which yeah cool that's you engaging with your work well done that's exciting to, to contemplate i will watch this because it's a cw superhero show set in the dc universe or a dc universe and i just watch those so that's it's kind of my bread and yeah, butter in a lot of ways. but i liked it it looks pretty colorful looks stylish it looks like it's of itself which i always like it doesn't look like it's a cookie cutter of anything else Again, there's very little to take from this, but yes, I was impressed. I also couldn't discern much from this. Couldn't tell if it was good Superman or bad Superman that she saw flying overhead. Yeah, he's flying over, but he's away <laughs> and kills someone. So he's <laughs> I vaguely remember discussing this briefly back on our last pod because it must have just been teased or something back then. But yeah, uh, there's so little for me to go on in this. <laughs> I feel it would be irresponsible for me to comment. What did you think of the clip though? She ran down a road. Something happened to her and then she woke up looking up into the sky and saw Superman. Could have been good, could have been bad. Everything else I know about this, I've just heard from you. <laughs> okay, <laughs> that's fine. More will come in the coming weeks or months or however long. We've got another animated thing that's in early stages. It's called Batman Kate Crusader. It's Bruce Tim doing more animated Batman stuff. It's described as being more Batman the animated series than Batman the animated series. It's about his development into being the fully set up Batman so he'll get stuff as he goes J.J. Abrams is involved because <laughs> of course he is that's where it loses me I'm afraid I love Bruce Tim stuff I love the animated series I like the ideas here but I just can't see past this J.J. Abrams thing I feel like it's influence on things just puts me off my first note was J.J. and I knew that that would be one of the big sticking points for you <laughs> I, I understand what they're trying to do here because cinematic stuff is all one arm of dc they're mentioned that it's batman without the justice league and i thought that's tim burton's batman or that's so many other <laughs> iterations of batman that we've seen before it or the one that we're about yeah. to talk about after this nearly <laughs> i just don't think that calling out that you've decoupled it from justice league it's not like a massive selling point really yeah, why is that an achievement <laughs> they get kind of heady with it mentioned a bit of german expressionism and a bit of noir i also thought yeah we've seen kind of stylized stylish batman before as well i feel like there's more that could go wrong with this than could go right with it jj <laughs> <laughs> abrams the corrupting touch yes bloody jj abrams it was all looking so good until he showed up his stupid face <laughs> he's like a scooby-doo villain to you oh no wait <laughs> yes are you the villain he's the... no let's not get into it I don't know. But I like the ideas and I'll probably give it a watch. And It's just hard to get excited whenever J.J. Abrams is involved in anything. Something's being rebooted. Oh, cool. J.J. Uh, Abrams is involved. Uh, why does he have to be involved in everything that I want to watch? Really annoying. 
at least that rules out a lot of stuff for you at an early stage. No, because I end up still watching it. <laughs> That's your mistake. Because it is still stuff that I like. I won't be able to watch anything eventually because he'll have corrupted everything that I watch. So I either have to put up with his presence or just not watch anything that I enjoy. I think I know which is the more likely. Yeah, I'll just complain about it a lot more and then you'll all have to listen to me. That's what will happen here. And for that, I curse him. That's a reason to hate him, if nothing else. <laughs> okay, another not-trailer featurette. Shazam! Fury of the Gods. Once again, as with the Aquaman one, everyone seems dead excited here. They're on set. They did show a couple of finished clips, kind of, of stuff that was happening. But I'm more interested in the background stuff that they're talking about. So they're talking about going bigger than the last one, which, of course, they're going to say. Lucy Liu and Helen Mirren playing god villains. They're bringing in mythological creatures like dragons and minotaurs and cyclopses and cyclopsi i don't know these things they're bringing in all those sorts of things one of the criticisms of the first film is well these things that you've created they're kind of indistinctly designed <laughs> blobs that he's fighting so that's an improvement already so yeah you know what these look like the harry housen inspired designs and things i'm loving it absolutely loving it i'm really hoping that they keep the heart and the character grounding that made the first one so appealing to me because i love shazam i thought it was a very very good dc film and i actually think it might be my favorite of the dc movies cool. now that i think about it because again it has that heart and that character and that grounding and it does a lot of really interesting and surprising things in a lot of ways i don't know if you've seen it but if not watch it because it might hit you where you live it may surprise you but i have not seen it so that's that shazam aquaman g-force triple bill at nine <laughs> at some point yeah yeah i agree they're all very excited about the featurette which you would expect it's going to be bigger it's going to be better or so they claim i think it's kind of like dc thor they've got that kind of mythological stuff kind of so when yeah. they tell me like, you're going to see stuff you haven't seen before and i'm like i have i've seen gods fighting each other <laughs> I've seen people wearing capes. I've seen them jumping at each other in slow motion. You'll see things you haven't seen before in the Shazam ah, right, movies, okay, of okay, which okay, there's okay. only been one. You should have <laughs> added that caveat. I'll take your recommendation. It sounds appealing. I'm excited about that. After the first one as well. In the first one, I was really not looking forward to it because the trailer makes it look like an Adam Sandler movie. And it's not that. It's very much not that. So I was so glad when I saw it and it wasn't that because that would have been painful. Okay, we've long teased this, but we have our second trailer for Matt Reeves' The Batman, which is another Batman reboot. Mm -hmm. Another one. But it's not going right back to the start of his career this time. It's year two, which is different to year one for some reason. And I reckon there will still be a flashback that shows his parents getting <laughs> shot because we need to establish that his parents have been shot. How many times have the Waynes been murdered? Who's been murdered more? The Waynes or <laughs> Uncle Ben? The answer is the Waynes. Always the Waynes. I'm not super keen on this, which annoys me because I really like Matt Reeves' movies. Cloverfield, the Apes movies that he did. So good, so good. And he's so excited about this as well. I'm sure Robert Pattinson will be fine, but at the same time, I'm not enamoured with him in this trailer. Robert Battinson. There we go. And it's not because I don't like Twilight. I mean, I don't like Twilight. I've only seen the first one, but I don't like it. And I haven't really seen much that Robert Pattinson has been in. But yeah, I'm sure he'll be good. He was fine in Tenet, I guess. He was fine. And I'm sure he'll be good in this. I'm just not keen on another gritty Batman. It looks really well shot, though. We've got another incomprehensible bat voice. You can't make out a word he's saying, so there we go again. I think Zoe Kravitz as Selena Kyle slash Catwoman looks like she'll be the highlight based on this, to be honest. 
And it annoys me that Batman seems basically invincible. He just walks down a corridor getting machine gunned and doesn't even flinch. I have to call it out this trailer for a slow version of Nirvana's Something in the Way. Something I've been looking out for across this podcast. <laughs> so it's instantly got marks off for that. I have no problem with Robert Pattinson as Batman. I'm not someone that thought there's just no way that that sparkly vampire could ever be the bat. After Twilight, he should never yeah. work again. Damn him. <laughs> I'm up for him as Batman. I just think that what makes this not Nolan's Batman? I don't see the difference at the moment. I wanted to say I'd seen Robert Pattinson in a film called Good Time on Netflix. And he was quite different to anything I've seen him in before in that. So I saw his range there. don't think he was very much like a Batman, but that was a film I enjoyed him in. I think because this is one of those tent poles, it's something to look forward to. And I, <laughs> I come out with a lot on this way. I haven't seen Aquaman, haven't seen Shazam. There's things here and there that I kind of let <laughs> go by the wayside. But with Batman, you know, a Batman movie especially, I feel like the closer we get to this, the more excited I'll be for it. At the moment... There's nothing really standing out about this trailer or telling me anything. We're going to see the Waynes get shot again. I could quite happily watch that in fast forward. I'd quite happily not have it there at all. But if they could just do something where it's like double speed, and you're like, you know what happens here. Okay, let's just speed up to the new bit. It is what it is. I will see this. But other than kind of making me aware that it's coming, <laughs> as it's made me any more excited for it than I think I will be just naturally as the time gets closer. It's supposed to have been and gone by now, which is the funniest thing about it. I saw a trailer that it comes up where it should show you the year at the end and it was just question mark, question mark, question mark, question mark. <laughs> yeah, so I don't know what it's getting at. It does seem to have a lot of villains in the film again. So we've got the Riddler and it seems there's other stuff in it going on. And Yeah, I don't know. I'm not a Batman guy, mm -hmm. as you know, and as possibly the listeners might know. I'm more into my virtuous superheroes. Your Supermans, your Captain America, your Spider-Mans, your whatever... None of them being evil, either. Don't want any of them being evil on board of that. Yeah, so Batman is dark and gritty, not creature of the night, <laughs> vampire, <laughs> sparkly vampire. But, you know, this dark and gritty, moody, vigilante type thing. It's, I'm not huge on that. Just not huge on it, and I never have been. I quite like Batman in context of the Justice League and things like that. I think he works very well there. And yeah, sure, I've loved Batman stuff. Animated series, the Arkham games, the... Tim Burton movies and yeah the Joel Schumacher movies they have their place in my heart I guess you can watch Batman and Robin and enjoy it as a comedy you can because I can and I do but there's all sorts of different interpretations of Batman and there's so many of them but yeah it seems like whenever they go cinematic with Batman it seems to be along the same lines and as you say why is this not the Nolan Batman I do think it looks better produced than the Nolan Batman actually for instance there's fight scenes in the trailer that look like they're well choreographed which you don't get in any of the Dark Knight movies, I don't think. I don't think they were very well done in terms of the hand-to-hand -hand combat, which is Batman's thing. It's something you need to get right. Mm -hmm. I agree with what you say about the previous versions, and I'll just shout out Kiss from a Rose by Seal, because I'll always love that from the Batman Forever soundtrack, <laughs> one of my favourite songs. And... Even though it should have been on the Batman and Robin soundtrack, because Poison <laughs> Ivy's in that movie. I know, but that being so incongruous just adds <laughs> all to that crazy sort of era. <laughs> <laughs> it seems so far removed now I, I think it would be crazy if they came out with something like that now after everything we've seen over the last couple of decades <laughs> instead you get moody nirvana covered but yeah. only in the trailer right cool we're out of the dome we escaped the dome we did it so thank you for commenting on dc fandom stuff i hope there were some things in there that you were excited about there's definitely some things in there i'm excited about I'll see almost all of it. It was a nice temperature in there. I think they've done that well. They did it. They, yeah, they've, they've got a new boiler and it's all nice and, <laughs> nice and cosy in the dome. 
Under the Dome, the DC fandom. But let's move on. Let's move on to another one of our pillar universes. So we've done DC. There's nothing else to talk about for DC ever again for a while anyway. But let's move over to Marvel. So we have some casting for Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. Will Poulter has been cast as Adam Warlock, which is a character that exists in the Marvel Universe. And he's very powerful and all that stuff. He was teased at one of the many post-credit scenes on Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. And they've cast Will Poulter, so yeah, cool. Decent. I will enjoy that, probably. Yeah, you're in favour. I would have to cast my mind back to even remember that post-credit scene. I don't remember it, I have to admit. I could go back and jog my memory. I don't know very much about the character at all. I like Will Poulter, so I imagine he'll do a good job. Do you think that it's good casting? Does this make sense to you? When I saw that he was cast, my first thought was, oh, I wouldn't have wouldn't have done that. That's weird. But I'm sure James Gunn has a plan because when they were doing all these things about Keanu Reeves is taking meetings at Marvel and things, I think a lot of people speculated that he would play Adam Warlock. And he is quite a detached and passive presence a lot of the times in the comics, which may not translate very well in the Guardians of the Galaxy tone because everyone is larger than life and quippy mm. and whatever. So Will Poulter might be able to latch into that. I do like him and it's an interesting choice. I think he'll be an adaptation of Adam Warlock that is very much a different take than what you may expect from the comics, which is fine. That's what the MCU does. I don't have a problem with that. Cool. Well, in due course, I will see how he does. Yeah, for sure. Marvel are doing something else. A WandaVision spin-off starring Catherine Han is in development at Disney+. Plus. Han will reprise her role of Agatha Harkness in the series. And if you haven't seen WandaVision, I have just spoiled something <laughs> for you. But it's been long enough, so tough. If you haven't seen it, if you haven't seen it, watch WandaVision because it's very good. It's described as a dark comedy, though exact plot details remain under wraps. WandaVision head writer Jack Schaefer would serve as the writer and executive producer on the project should the spin-off go forward. That's about it. Catherine Han will be in a WandaVision spin-off playing Agatha Harkness. And that's cool. Um okay with that. I think it's a good it's a good choice. She was good. She was very good in WandaVision. So do you think that there's a need for a spin-off? I've only seen a couple no, of episodes of WandaVision. I'm not worried about it, about it being spoiled, but um, I do like Catherine Han. That would be my main question. Is this a character that can support a whole spin-off? I wouldn't have thought they would have rushed mm. to do mm. one, to be honest, especially based on her contribution to WandaVision. But she has a history, for sure, yeah. before the show begins, and it's referenced and alluded to. So it could be about that, or it could just be picking up after WandaVision left off, or it could be a combination of the two, where she's off doing something else and there's flashbacks and things. But I don't know, but there's definitely scope there for material. And obviously they got Catherine Hand to agree to be in a Marvel project. So it's, yeah, let's give you more stuff to do. Why not? Absolutely mm. no problems there. Cool. So this is the rumour mill for Marvel now. I tend not to like to truck with rumours, but when I like the sound of a rumour and it seems like it's not reported on some of the bigger clickbaity websites, then... I'm okay to talk about it. It probably won't happen. Rumours have emerged surrounding Marvel and Disney's upcoming Hawkeye spin-off Echo, which is a, a deaf superhero, that claim that the series will be akin to a fourth series of Daredevil. The alleged insight into the direction of the Disney Plus series comes courtesy of known scooper Daniel Richtman, who states that Echo will still centre very much on the title character, saying, this is still very much Echo's story. It will also fully integrate Charlie Cox's Man Without Fear into the MCU. According to Rickman's report, 
Echo will act as Daredevil Season 4 because we'll get to see all these characters from the show coming back and play big parts in it. He reiterates that Echo is still being the lead and it's her show. This article is really poorly written. It keeps repeating itself, as well as confirming what has been suspected in the past about Marvel's strategy to bring some of the Netflix iterations back, saying the characters will be somewhat soft, rebooted into the MCU, but will still have a history with one another. So they will look somewhat different with different backgrounds, but still played by the same actors. I'm very excited about that prospect because Charlie Cox is too good to not appear in the MCU as Daredevil. He will be different. He won't be as brutal as he is in his own show. And we have to get D'Onofrio as Fisk back as well. Even if he is less brutal, I want to see him threaten Tom Holland. And then I want to see Wilson Fisk threaten Peter Parker. I want to see those two things happen. Vincent D'Onofrio threatening Tom Holland. And then the cameras start rolling. That's an admirable thing to want. It is, isn't it? There's rumours that Charlie Cox is going to be Peter Parker's lawyer in Spider-Man No Way Home. Those rumours have been denied by several people. I'm assuming until proven otherwise that everyone is lying about Spider-Man No Way Home until I see it and those things are proven to be either true or not true. I feel like that's fine. I feel like that's a fine stance to have. But if this is true, this is great because one thing the Netflix shows based around Marvel characters nailed by and large, was casting. So bringing those in, definitely a good thing. The storytelling across most of them, especially as they went on, was rough and difficult, but can't fault the cast. And Charlie Cox's Daredevil is too good to not have back. I want this to happen. Yeah, I watched maybe, I don't know, a season and a half of Daredevil, and I did enjoy it. I just kind of lost my way with it. I definitely enjoyed Charlie Cox in the role. So this sounds like for fans who stuck with it longer than I did. Sounds like a good thing (laughs) to get more of that. And if it does turn out to link in to the MCU, I'm there for that. And if you eventually get to see Kingpin threatening everyone that you want to see him threaten, then great. (laughs) I'm happy for you. It's what I want. It's it's how I want it to be. We're still on the rumour mill. And this is another, who knows if it might happen. Hope it does. They might be developing a World War Hulk movie, which will go into production hopefully next year. World War Hulk is a story, it's actually set after Planet Hulk because various Marvel heroes get together and they suddenly decide the Hulk is no good, let's get rid of him. So they send him off to the planet, essentially the Thor Ragnarok situation where he's a gladiator on Sakaar and he's fighting and he's loving it because he gets to fight and doesn't have to tiptoe around anybody and no one's trying to expel him and all that stuff. But he comes back to Earth and he's pissed, he's really angry, so he... Again, World War Hulk it explains itself. It's everybody versus the Hulk. I don't know the MCU version would be anything like that. Probably not. It would probably be a riff on that or a very different story with that title as they do with a lot of things. But yeah, give us a solo Hulk movie. I do know the rights are still potentially with Universal. Oh, right. That's why they haven't done a solo Hulk movie since The Incredible Hulk because it was a joint production between, well, Marvel Studios didn't really exist at the time. It did, but it didn't because there were still, Paramount was doing Iron Man and the Avengers and Thor and Universal did Hulk and they retained the rights to a solo movie. So they can use the Hulk as much as they like as long as it's not in his own movie. But I imagine they might have got around the money of that already. Probably. (laughs) They've probably gotten around that. Would this be Mark Ruffalo? Yes, it would be. Um yeah, I've heard of the arc from the comics. I don't really know it well, but I do like Mark Ruffalo as a talk. I wasn't sure how long he was sticking around. I'm not really aware of, of how long the original Avengers are expected to remain in the cinematic universe. Well, he's going to be in She-Hulk, the TV series, and may appear or have already appeared somewhere else along the line. If you haven't seen 
some recent Marvel stuff. I'm not going <laughs> to tell you where or why or when okay. that is. But Banner is not going anywhere for now. Okay, that's interesting because I was just assuming that they'd have like a kind of exit strategy for some of the longer tenured <laughs> Avengers. Apart from Hawkeye getting his own TV series. <laughs> I think it depends on the actors. If they still want to keep doing it, then we'll keep paying them and keep yeah. hiring them for things. So Mark Ruffalo is going to be in the She-Hulk series, which may or may not set this up in some fashion. But it's a rumour at this point, and I hope it comes true. And it sounds like you do too, because you yeah, like, like Mark Ruffalo I like him. to do more stuff. There's nothing not to like about Mark Ruffalo, for sure. And that's as done with Marvel, the last two were rumours. We would normally jump over at the CW at this point, but there's nothing this month, actually weirdly nothing to talk about on the cw so we'll skip it i'll just mention that it's there but we'll do a brief star wars chat this has been confirmed (laughs) i almost can't bring myself to say it but hayden christensen is coming back to star wars he's going to reprise the role of anakin skywalker aka darth vader in case you didn't know reading this hollywood reporter article who anakin skywalker is in ahsoka the latest star wars live action series from lucasfilm and disney plus Multiple sources tell The Hollywood Reporter. So Rosario Dawson playing Ahsoka. I don't like her Ahsoka based on the clips I watched from The Mandalorian. I don't really like The Mandalorian, so it's up and down whether I'll like this Ahsoka series. I love the character, though, from Clone Wars. Absolutely love her. So this will be set after Return of the Jedi, because that's when Ahsoka's set. That's when Mandalorian's set. So Hayden Christensen might be a Force ghost. Who knows? But Hayden Christensen, I don't know. You know how with the backlash to the sequel trilogy how people are like the prequels are actually mm-hmm. quite good mm-hmm. now as backlash to that i wonder if people are confusing this and looping around to hayden christians as a good actor actually which he isn't certainly in nothing i've seen him in and i've seen him in too many things <laughs> yeah i agree completely I, i'm not on board the kind of justice for hayden movement as so many people seem to be i'm sure yeah. he's a nice guy i'm sure he terrible is. actor um <laughs> But I do think that it's like a sort of reaction to the sequels was to sort of reassess the prequels and think, well, no, actually, we should have been grateful for what we had then. Any time that he's been rumoured to be back or to be portraying Vader again, it wouldn't even be Vader, would it? It would be Anakin. Just didn't ever connect with that character in any of the prequels. Only liked it when he eventually turned and was a baddie. <laughs> for real. It's because the film is almost over. We're, we're, we're near the end now, finally. Yeah. Not massively impressed or <laughs> over the moon about this. Maybe he's had acting license. That's happening. Or potentially happening. Just nope. Funniest thing is, I think it was Chris I was talking to, and I said that Andrew Garfield reminds me of Hayden Christensen. Andrew Garfield's almost like Hayden Christensen if he had talent. And it's more in the social network. It's the way he speaks. They sound uh-huh. quite similar. I just couldn't help but draw that connection. I don't know if I'm the only one who's done this. And if I'm just barking up the wrong tree or, or am I onto something? I have never made the connection before, but I, okay. I can just about see what you're getting at. <laughs> well, that's good. I'm not completely yeah. mad then. If anyone's listening, they can let me know if I'm just nuts, which valid. I would accept it if you said, no, you're completely bonkers here. What are you talking about? That's it for Star Wars. There's probably other stuff, but... That's it for Star Wars for this podcast. We have first look at Rob Zombie's The Munsters, which includes Jeff Daniel Phillips as Herman Munster, Sherry Moon Zombie, because she has to be in everything he makes, as Lily Munster, and Dan Roebuck as Grandpa Munster. It's a picture that was shared, I think, on on Instagram. It's a black and white picture of them sitting in their named chairs in front of the mansion, they look like the monsters, I suppose. Yep, I would agree with that. I maybe seen a couple of episodes of the monsters. I remember as a kid watching it in black and white on 
Maybe it was Channel 4 back in the day. <laughs> Other than that, I have very little to say. I don't know who this is for, and I didn't even know that Rob Zombie was that into the monsters that he'd be doing a monsters remake. Yeah, apparently is. The thing that struck me about Herman Munster is it looks cheap, but deliberately mm. cheap. So they're just going for that which very old school aesthetic. For. Yeah, that old school schlocky vibe, which makes me wonder, why not just watch yeah. the original Monsters? Because that's already cheap. It was cheap because it was cheap. That's why it was cheap. Let's move on. Back to Disney. We have a director for the film Merlin, an adaptation of the novel series where King Arthur's wizardry mentor is at the centre of the story. Ridley Scott, who directed the 20th century medieval pick The Last Duel, which you talked about, was attached to direct at one point, but parted ways due to probably making The Last Duel. Sources say the film is in early development with Disney live action team. The director is going to be... Michael Matthews, whoever that is. He directed Love and Monsters, which is a Netflix thing that I haven't seen. And he first got attention for a contemporary African spaghetti western, Five Fingers for Marseille, which I also have not seen. But yes, Merlin, it's again another Disney thing of let's do prequels to all our stuff. But this one kind of makes sense. Merlin seems like he has a more interesting backstory than, say, Cruella. Yeah, I, I haven't seen any of Michael Matthews' work. As I've said previously, if there's chainmail and swords in this, then I could be into it. Although I've previously stated on several podcasts that anything colon origins is really not for me. So Merlin Origins <laughs> might not be so into that. It probably will just be called Merlin, though, to trick you. <laughs> in which case, I'll be right there for it. <laughs> Still at Disney here, David Gordon Green, who directed Halloween Kills which is a film I didn't really like. So yeah, really excited for this. He's set to direct a movie about Walt Disney's journey to building Disneyland, the happiest place on earth. That's about it. That's all it says. It has a writer to make a film about the making of Disneyland. I wonder if Tom Hanks will still play Walt Disney after playing him in whatever it was called, the Mary Poppins movie. Saving Mr. Banks. That's the one. That's the one. I knew you would know that. And that's why I tested you. Tom Hanks is just Walt Disney in everything. Why not? Tom Hanks is just history. You know in Galaxy Quest how the aliens just watch TV and then they think it's real? They just think that history looks like Tom Hanks because he's started so many historical things. It's fine. Is it an interesting story? I decided to build a theme park and I'm rich, so then I made one. Job done. Yeah, I know some people are very into Disney, not just the movies, but also the whole everything, the parks, the world, all of it. I'm not one of those people and I have not seen Saving Mr. Banks it's good. At the moment, not particularly interested in this. It could be one for the mouse heads. <laughs> That's what they call them, right? <laughs> the House I of don't Mouse. Know. <laughs> no, the House of Mouse is who makes them, but we don't know what the fanboys are called. <laughs> well, we or do the know. fan people are called. Mouse heads. We've coined it here first. That's copyright it, I want however much people get okay. every time someone says it. <laughs> not much to go on here it's a film about that it's directed by David Gordon Green who yeah I'm not going to say Halloween Kills were badly directed it wasn't there was other things that added up to being not the best about it but yeah sure let's make this and it might be interesting they made a film about Facebook being created interesting mm, so anything's mm, possible a good point next up we have Jake Gyllenhaal again he's going to be in a film called Prophet a World War II period piece adapted from the comic book series of the same name originally written by Rob Liefeld he will be teaming up with Extraction filmmaker Sam Hargrave. Extraction, is that Chris Hemsworth Netflix movie that I haven't seen and is apparently terrible? Is that right? It sounds about right. I haven't seen it, but that could be one of those one-word titles that I've seen popping up there. It's also getting a sequel, even though it's apparently terrible, but people watched it, I suppose. 
But anyway, the film is set to be written by Mark Guggenheim, known for his role as writer and creator of some of the TV shows in the CW's Arrowverse. Cool. Okay. Gyllenhaal will play the lead character known as John Prophet, a homeless and desperate man experimented on by the Germans in the dying days of the Second World War. These experiments were meant to turn him into a super soldier who only ever had the drive to kill, sort of the opposite side of the Captain America coin. Oh, great. Evil Captain America. Great. That's what we want. This rampage that he was meant to be sent on was stopped by a last minute change of heart by one of the scientists that were experimenting on him, who put Prophet into a cryo sleep that he awakened from years later. God, this sounds so familiar. So Rob Liefeld decided that he was going to write Captain America, but morally dubious and then change nothing else. Okay. The movie will follow Prophet as he awakens in 1965, where his daughter has grown to resent him and the KGB is pursuing him to use him as the basis for their own super soldiers. Gyllenhaal and Cargrave have a history with the superhero genre, obviously, with Gyllenhaal recently playing the villain Mysterio in Spider-Man Far From Home, while Hargrave worked in stunts with Marvel Studios, starting with The Winter Soldier. He made his transition to directing not for a superhero movie, although starring Thor himself, Chris Hemsworth, I was right, for the highly popular Netflix action film Extraction, which applies to get a sequel. Prophet made his first appearance in 1982 in Image Comics. This is not the first time that they attempted to make this. The project was attempted all the way back in 1995, although the film never saw much in the way of development. This is something that's happening. I can't say I'm all that excited about it based on that. Based on our knowledge that you don't like the evil version of characters. And there's a Netflix movie that I haven't seen, yeah. but assume is bad. Yeah, I don't have much more to hit on that other than we've called out the reverse Captain Americanness of it. And I had to chuckle at the name John Prophet just because it makes me think of our character, John Everyman, who I'm sure we've spoken about, probably not on podcasts, but that's also trademarked and copyrighted. So please don't steal that. It's way, way back in our list of projects to eventually get off the ground. <laughs> Along with my gritty Power Rangers reboot, that's not quite very gritty. And that's trademarked as well. I know that one has been mentioned on podcasts before, but please <laughs> don't steal any of these ideas. Yeah, please don't steal this idea to adapt something that's owned by someone else. <laughs> <laughs> so that's that. I'm not fussed about this, but it's getting made. And I suppose it has a good cast because Jake Gyllenhaal is good, but director of a film that I haven't seen, but assume is bad. So I don't know. We have another reboot thing happening. Hellraiser. You know, Pinhead, the guy with pins in his head. He's not a guy this time. It's a woman playing him. Jamie Clayton, the actress's name is. It's a Hulu thing. The announcement confirms reports that Pinhead, the demonic creature at the centre of Mayhem in the original films, will be portrayed by a woman. The L word, Generation Q and Sense8 actress, joins the previously announced Odessa Azion in the film. Principal photography just wrapped in the new version of the Venerable Horror series. Rounding out the cast are, are Brandon Flynn, who was in 13 Reasons Why and Ratched, Goran Vizhnik, who's been in The Boys, ER, and I'm going to add in Timeless, because that's where I know I'm from. Also Doctor Who. Drew Starkey from Outer Banks and Love, Simon. Adam Faison and Everything's Going to Be Okay, Into the Dark. Aoife Hines, Normal People and Berlin. Selena Lowe, Boss Level. And Hayam Abbas, Blade Runner 2049 and Succession. I can't place any of these actors at all. I haven't really seen them in anything. Apart from Gordon Vishnik. I know him. I have but that's about the it. exact same comment to make. I read through the cast list and heard of things they've been in, but I have no idea who they are. <laughs> Hellraiser is a bit of a, a blind spot in my horror movie education. It was one of those things I always used to think would be really terrifying just based on the imagery. But I th I've heard since then that some of it's a bit laughable. So I don't know, maybe someday I, I will work my way through the Hellraisers, but today is not that day. I'm just going to say that I like that they're brave enough to just go, yeah, Pinhead's a woman now. Whatever. Fight us. 
Well, yeah, I gather that the Cenobites or whatever they are are supposed to be these kind of sex demons from hell. And I think that they could just be any being that is willing to inflict pain and or pleasure on their victims. So, yeah, I don't know if in canon whether or not Pinhead is a man, a woman, I don't know, anything. (laughs) But as I say, I'm not an expert. I don't know. Hi, Chris. (laughs) Hi, Chris. Say hi to Chris. (laughs) It's our version of hi to Jason Isaacs. (laughs) Let's move on. Timothy Chalamet, who recently obviously starred in Dune and a bunch of other stuff that I don't think I've seen. I don't think I've seen him in anything but Dune somehow, even though he's so ubiquitous Mm. with people. Chalamet stands or whatever they're called. Whatever the young people call themselves. But anyway, he posted the first look at Willy Wonka from the Wonka adaptation, Wonka prequel thing on his Instagram. And Deadline saw fit to put in their article that he has 13.6 million followers on Instagram. And I don't even have Instagram. So what does that say about me? Well, there is a Neil Before blog Instagram, but I can't work it. <laughs> Chalamet seems to be all the rage right now. And I... He does. I haven't seen Dune, and I don't know if I've seen him in anything, but he's very of the moment. By the way, the embed of the picture says that he has 14.7 million followers, so Deadline probably shouldn't have put that in your article. (laughs) Just saying, it's already out of date. Good for you, Timothy. And yeah, he looks like someone dressed as Willy Wonka in the picture. (laughs) He does. He can go out trick-or-treating with Tom Holland, dressed as Nathan Drake for Halloween. (laughs) Do we need a Wonka prequel? The answer is no, right? Well, we've got to find out where he got that cane... (laughs) <laughs> why he calls his favourite Oompa Loompa Chewy <laughs> it's because he fell into the vat of toffee when he was a boy he was saved by this Oompa Loompa and he's like as graduate I'm going to call you Chewy <laughs> and the Oompa Loompa is but that's not my name it's like it is now <laughs> also round up all your friends because they're going to work in a factory yeah so you need to know all <laughs> these things about what made him a monstrous individual yeah, I don't know. Do we need to see that? I mean, the Johnny Depp version was bad enough, right? And we had prequel stuff in there, sort of, where his dad was a dentist and that's why he was into chocolate because he wasn't allowed it. <laughs> he liked sweets because his dad was a strict dentist played by Christopher Lee. Yeah. Remember that? That was dreadful. Yes. So bad. <laughs> but this looks like it could be even worse. But yes, he looks like Willy Wonka. And this is probably the last shot in the film <laughs> as well, where he's all geared up. <laughs> Yeah, he puts on the hat and it makes the same sort of sound it makes when Vader gets his mask finally (laughs) attached. It's directed by Paul King, though, which gives me hope because he directed Paddington 1 and 2, which are some of the best feel-good movies you could ever watch. If you haven't seen those two movies, watch them. Not right now, you're podcasting. Right after this, go watch them. They are excellent. And it's going to be a musical. I like musicals. So he's going to sing and dance, which... Apparently he can do, so we'll see if that's true. That rhymed. Cool, it was almost a song, almost, but I'm not going to sing. I can't sing. I'm not very good at it. But yes, Paul King. So I should be more excited about this than I am, but it's just Wonka prequel. It's the Joker, but it's Wonka. It's Cruella, but it's Wonka. Ugh, nah. <laughs> Is that about your sentiment? Or <laughs> said all I can say about Wonka. Cool. Following on from last month, where we talked about how Christopher Nolan had sold the idea of making a film about Oppenheimer to Universal. They've moved forward on that. Killian Murphy has now been cast to star as Oppenheimer. So it's nice to see Christopher Nolan really branching out and who he has to be in his films. Good to see that he's widening that and casting mm, nets. Mm-hmm. After Michael Caine didn't announce his retirement, after someone else announced his retirement, I wonder if it's just because he saw the bat signal or the Nolan signal to appear in Oppenheimer in some role. Doesn't that just have a big dollar sign on it for Michael Caine? 
probably. Yeah, I don't know what Michael Caine's signal would be. <laughs> no idea. Michael Caine took to social media after not knowing what it is to announce that he's not retiring. <laughs> Killian Murphy as Oppenheimer. I'm sure he'll be great because Killian Murphy is great. I was kind of joking about Nolan not branching too far out in his casting choices. I'm serious. It isn't far from his well of actors, is it? But it's a good choice. Yeah, agreed. I mean, he works with who he likes to work with. And I don't know very much about this movie other than I have to assume he's not going to play it. Not Killian Murphy. Nolan isn't going to play it straight. He'll be playing with the temporal nature of Oppenheimer's work or something like that. You know, it can't just be a, <laughs> a straight sort of biopic. It's going to have to be told in a strange and unusual way. Something that I'm going to have to think about long after I see it and think, what what, what did that mean? Why was it backwards? What? Why was Oppenheimer wearing a mask that meant that you couldn't understand a word he was saying for most of the film? <laughs> it's because he was operating near radiation. He had to wear a big radiation suit and that means we can't understand a word that he's saying. Next, we have some casting for the John Wick spin-off TV series, The Continental, and the casting is questionable to say the least. Mel Gibson is going to be starring in it. And just as a side note, this Deadline article that I'm reading to you right now, when I opened it earlier, I scrolled down slightly to get to the text, but I didn't scroll down that far. So all I'm seeing right now is Mel Gibson's grin, but then you can't see his whole face. And it is terrifying. It's absolutely terrifying. So I'm going to scroll further down so I don't have to see that anymore. The Continental will explore the origin behind the Hotel for Assassins, which increasingly has become the centrepiece of the John Wick universe. This will be accomplished through the eyes and actions of a young Winston Scott who is dragged into the hellscape of 1975 New York City to face a past he thought he'd left behind. Winston charts a deadly course through the New York's mysterious underworld in a harrowing attempt to seize the iconic hotel, which serves as the meeting point for the world's most dangerous criminals. No word yet on who played Winston Scott, originally played by Ian McShane, but Gibson will play a character named Carmack. So it's very confusing that they would cast Mel Gibson, despite the fact that it's Mel Gibson. I mean, I don't dislike him as an actor, Whenever he appears and stuff, I'm like, yeah, he was good. I thought we'd stopped casting him and stuff. Yeah, I think he's on the blacklist. Australians now disavow him, don't they? Mm. He's not ours. He's not ours. He's yours, whoever you are. I'm excited to see a John Wick expansion, I suppose. I do like the John Wick universe. I mean, it's not a universe. It's three films at the moment, soon to be four. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's not the dark universe, though. It's just a universe. But it's not really a universe. The Wikiverse. The Wikiverse, yeah. There must be a Wikipedia for it. Just called Wikipedia. <laughs> there should be. If it was that much of a universe that had to be explained like Star Wars in the Wikipedia, then Wikipedia, that's ah, trademarked and copyright. Please don't steal that. <laughs> I need to see more John Wick to understand whether or not we need a spin-off. I've seen the first one. Okay, they're all good. Isaac would disagree with you on the third one, but I like the... I get article. the feeling that we don't need a spin-off. And you're probably right, we don't need a spin-off. Mm-hmm. I don't think. But you can say that about anything. Do we need a sequel? No. Do we need a spin-off? No. Do we need a prequel? No. Can we just have another thing that's not connected to this other thing? Yeah, yeah. see my commentary on Scream earlier. <laughs> and what I have to try and stop myself from saying about basically everything that we cover. <laughs> you don't need any of these things, right? You could use this money to feed the poor, for You're example. very right, but yes. do you want them? Yeah, okay. Yeah, I'll give it a go. Let's move on. Kristen Stewart's going to be in something. She was interviewed about her role in Spencer, where she plays Princess Diana, which is a film that I probably won't watch. I don't know why, I just feel like I won't watch Mm. it. But she's going to be in a film directed by David Cronenberg called Crimes of the Future, which also stars Viggo Mortensen, Aragorn himself. It's a high-concept sci-fi drama where Stephen Yoon is also in it. It's actually a love story between a satellite and a boy, says Kristen Stewart. It's hard to explain... 
No kidding. But I hope I don't botch it. It's a really revolutionarily written script. So she's going to be in that, which sounds like crazy little concept, and I don't know what she means by it. So that's why I thought I would bring it up. There's nothing really jumping out about it for me. I can only comment on Spencer in that I saw the trailer for it recently at the cinema, and I was thinking... Yeah, that looks like one of those movies that only older people go and see. Because when I used to work at a cinema <laughs> a long time ago, we put those kind of movies, like British movies or films about these historical figures and stuff, in what was the gold class section at the time because they had the smallest number of seats and <laughs> they were always relegated to those screens. And anytime I see a trailer or I see a movie like that's coming up, I think, yeah, that's got the Jersey and Guernsey literary and potato peel pie society written all over it. <laughs> Whatever this film ends up being, it just sounds kind of zany. And David Cronenberg should be able to do something about that, I suppose. Yes, all of those points do sound like I can't really put them together in my head into a coherent thought. <laughs> okay, we're approaching the end of our list. <laughs> this one. Margot Robbie's Barbie movie looks to have found its Ken. Apparently Ryan Gosling is in final negotiations to play the iconic <laughs> Mattel character in Warner Brothers' movie centred on the classic doll line. Greta Gerwig is directing, with Robbie playing the titular role. Gosling apparently initially passed on playing the part because of his busy schedule, <laughs> but they, I guess, waited for him. Pre-production dragged out, and the studio remained persistent with him being their only choice. An opening in his schedule appeared, allowing him to sign on. Thank God, because imagine we didn't have that. Remember when Michael Keaton voiced him in Toy Story 3? Good times. Yeah, Ryan Gosling must have needed a new swimming pool or, you know, another wing <laughs> added to his house or something because, I mean, that just reads like, I passed on this. I don't want to be in a Barbie movie. And then, okay, okay, let's talk. Let's talk. Dollars. Uh, yeah, okay, I'm in. It's when the third truck of money rolled up to his yeah. house. That's when he said yes. It seems weird, this, right? Because if you look at the talent involved, Greta Gerwig, Margot Robbie, now Ryan Gosling, it's one of those, hang on, isn't this supposed to be ridiculous? Maybe it won't be, but what is it going to be? Plot details are unknown at this time. That's it. No one knows what it's actually going to be about. Is it going to be about the creation of Barbie? Is it going to be a story set in the Barbie universe? The best concept i could come up with was he plays kind of a silent man doll in drive and so <laughs> if it was like that character maybe i'd be interested if it was like a kind of nicholas winding reffin sort of barbie hot pink driving around in his hot pink convertible yeah. <laughs> what's the name of that steve carell film it's based on that guy that makes figures oh and yeah escapes into a fantasy um world. i can't remember it now but i know the one you mean Wait, Ryan Gosling was in Lars and the Real Girl, right? Where he fell in love with a blow-up doll. No, not a blow-up doll. He was in love with a doll. It was like a mannequin or something. And he was also in Blade Runner 2049. He was fixated on a holographic woman as well. There you go. He's got preview. There's a pattern here. He's perfect for the role. I don't know why he turned it down (laughs) in the first place. (laughs) The film I was referring to is called Welcome to Marwin. The reason I brought that up is I wonder if the Barbie movie could be something like that. Where they just cut between like live action and those kind of dolls. Or it sort of pulls out at the end and it's Will Ferrell playing with them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, and his son trying to stop him gluing things yeah. down. So I don't know what this movie will be. No one knows what this movie will be. Details are light, but the talent involved is interesting. So it's certainly something worth keeping an eye on, I suppose. <laughs> I have no doubt that it will all be covered here on this podcast. We'll bring it up again. Yeah. Whether the interest continues as the production begins, stay tuned we don't know. For more. We stay tuned, stay tuned. So last item, I always try and put something on the list that is 
keyed specifically to the guest of the month on the news one. And this one's for you. Transformers Rise of the Beasts first look reveals Autobots and Terror Cons. There's some pictures here. Optimus Prime's there. Bumblebee's there. A motorbike is there. A VW van is there. Another car is there. There's a dirty looking truck Mm. there. There's a tow truck. So what do you think of the look of these vehicle modes? Obviously, they haven't done any robots yet, but they have wrapped production. They've finished filming. I think they look cool. I appreciate that you've included this here for me. I do think that they look good. They look quite close to G1, my favorite era. (laughs) The dirty looking truck, it's funny that you mentioned that because I had a Decepticon combining robot that formed, there was a tank that formed one leg and a truck that was the main part of the body i was looking at that thinking that could be onslaught that could be one of my favorite transformer toys i had when i was a kid i hope it will be what i want them to do is just transform properly i don't want any of this spinning or whirring or tons and tons of visible machinery (laughs) just be really blocky just go back to (laughs) i don't know if that will really pay off on film but i just want to see optimus prime's arms they just pop out from the side of the cab (laughs) i don't need it to be overly complicated that's what I want. And it's a simple wish. I'm a simple man. We must have discussed it at the time, but isn't that a lot of what they did in Bumblebee? The transformations were a bit more simple? Yeah, I do remember them being a bit more straightforward and a bit more true to the cartoon and the toys. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I've only seen Bumblebee once, but I should probably go back and watch it and remind myself. John Cena being funny. Yeah. He's in that. He's funny and it works because he's funny. And it's good. Bumblebee is a legitimately good movie and... We talked about this one a few months ago as well, after my infamous He-Man transformation. Yeah, how are you feeling after that? Has it <laughs> happened again? No, no, but I haven't had the urge to hold up a sword and say those words. I haven't found the sword, I don't know where it is. I've moved house recently and it's in a box. Ah, cool. probably. It's probably next yeah. to your chainmail. Could be. That I don't wear because He-Man doesn't wear armour. Well, no, wears... you didn't wear it at that time, but those things go together, as we've discussed ad nauseum. <laughs> and then it piques your interest yeah, yeah. immediately. Okay, that's the end of our list. I did have a quick look online to see if anything had emerged in the time we've been talking. The only thing that did emerge was the Dune sequel, which we covered, which is apparently gearing for a 2023 release, by the way. So that's going to be a quick turnaround on that one. But yes, that's everything. Unless you have anything that you noticed in the news cycle that you really wanted to talk about and I left off this list. Yes, I've got another six pages here. (laughs) (laughs) No, no, of course not. Yes, this has been very comprehensive and I feel ready to go back into a meditative state and achieve Zen once more. Good. I'm so glad that you're ready to do that. So thanks for joining for a news roundup. It's been a pleasure to talk about all these things that we're intermittently excited about. Yep. As Bob Hoskins always used to say, it's good to talk. He did say that at some point. That's a free, free times, plug perhaps. for BT there. <laughs> Absolutely. So that was our discussion of most of the news and trailers and announcements and things from October 2021. We will, of course, be back next month, or I will. Someone else will be in Angus's seat. And possibly some other guests get drafted in to talk about specific areas of interest. Tends to happen every month at the (laughs) moment, which is fun for me as an editor. So that was our discussion of all that stuff. If you enjoyed what you heard, then we'd love it if you'd subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, anywhere you get your podcasts. If you're listening to this already, it's on your feed. Subscribe wherever your feed is. Please do. And if you're on Apple Podcasts, we'd love it if you'd leave us a rating and a comment. But what number would we like for that rating, Angus? Um, Five. Yeah, that's exactly right. That's the number we would like. I'd like to thank Neil Stenson for the supplied music. As always, it's amazing. 
And I'd like to thank Chris for taking the time to Photoshop the banner with some of the things we've been talking about during this. I always enjoy his efforts. My favourite one, I think, is when Jerry is fighting Godzilla. That's a really fun one. Jerry the mouse, that is. That's a different kind of mouse head, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> it all comes full circle. It all comes full circle, yeah. If you want to talk to us about anything that we discussed here, or anything else really, you can catch us on Facebook and Twitter under Neil Before Blog, or on newbeforeblog.co.uk. There's a comment section. You can leave a comment and speak to us about all these things, if you want. But until next time, we hope you'll join us on Neil Before Pod. Mm-hmm.